BBC Three Counties Radio, first for news. Everything all right, Catherine? Everything's fine. Just a little, uh, you know, kept us on uh, on the edge of our seats at the beginning of that uh, report. What was going on? Well, huh? I just thought I'd try dramatic pause. It worked. I'd, I'd say go for longer next time. OK. That was awkward. Morning. Thank you, Catherine. Excellent, as always. I'm in a good mood this morning. I don't know if it's this swimming thing. I've been swimming two days in a row. I'm going to go today as well. I know. I don't know if it's making me in a good mood, but something's happening. It's funny, I'm the... Y- y- you know you're in a strange place when you're the youngest person there. I'm the youngest person in this pool. So it looks like I'm really brilliant at swimming because it's just loads of old people. You know, old people doing that thing that they do in swim pools where they hold, like, a tiny blue dumbbell. You know, and they, like, bounce around with a dumbbell. That obviously doesn't weigh anything because it's made of foam. How heavy can a foam dumbbell really be? Anyway, this swimming, I don't know. It's, it's, it's doing something to me. It's making me a bit perky, a bit frisky. Lots on the show this morning. Some interesting ones that I think you might want to have your say on. I'll tell you how to get in touch in a bit. But uh, the, the, the three things we've got coming up in this hour. Should there be brothels exclusively for disabled people? Mm. A former madam from Milton Keynes certainly thinks so. She wants to open one. What do you think about that? Also, have you been cured or conned by complementary medicine? We'll find out why there's little scientific evidence that it helps to treat arthritis. Keen to get your stories on that. Chinese herbal medicine, um, crystals, is it Reiki? Reiki. Uh, and homeopathy. That whole thing. What do you reckon? Is it a load of old nonsense, or do you swear by it? And also, there's a growing complaints culture here in the UK. What's the best response you've ever had from a company? Lots to talk about, and lots of ways to get in touch. Go to the Facebook page, please. Facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. Um, you can send us a text, 81333, starting your text, 3CR. But these, uh, these kind of topics this morning, I think, are best investigated by having a chat. I'd like to challenge you and I'd like you to challenge me. Look, all of the lines are free at the moment, not one phone call lined up, so why don't you be the first? 08459 455 555. A prize of absolutely nothing to the first person to call up and come on the air. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Former madam from Milton Keynes says she wants to open the country's first brothel for disabled people. Becky Adams says she hopes it will open next year and will be fully accessible to people regardless of their disability. We sent our escort correspondent, Justin Dealey, out and he's been speaking to people at the Disability Resource Centre in Dunstable to find out what they think. I, I personally wouldn't use one, but uh, I do know there are people that may need, you know, that we all have needs... Um, and people do find it hard to meet if they've got disabilities. I can't see why it wouldn't wouldn't work. Uh, my question is, why not? If it's legal and it's not breaking the law in any shape or form, then everyone has that right to choose. Well, Peter, we've heard from a few men that say this would work. As a lady, can you see this brothel working? I think it could do. When I used to live in London, there was one on my estate... And that seemed to work for disabled people. My ex-husband's view was that if they can't get it anywhere else and these ladies are offering a a discreet service, then why not? Do you think some people will be outraged by this, though? I think if they're shallow-minded, then yes, they probably would be. If they don't think about the bigger picture. It might be difficult for some disabled people to find a partner, and this is fulfilling a need that they have. 
and say if it's discreet, then what's the problem? Justin Dealey there speaking uh, to people at the Disability Resource Centre in Dunstable. Well, Carrie Mitchell is a spokeswoman for the English Collective of Prostitutes. Morning, Carrie. Good morning. What do you make of this idea? Yes, absolutely. This woman should be able to open a, a parlour and women should be able to work, work their safety together. Um, it's, a, it's, as the, one of your commentators said, it's, just, it's a service that people need. And that's absolutely right. The problem is that women working together at the moment, um, it's, it's criminalised. For women, more, more than one woman to work from premises is an offence. So this will be very good if this, if this um, uh, Becky Adams is ready to open something and be public about it. That would be very good. And what do you think about the, specifically the aspect that this would be primarily for disabled people? Is there, how much business comes from disabled people? Well, there are very, very many people with, um, with uh, disabilities, uh, and particularly people with access disabilities, um, a, a premises which has the facilities, you know, the washing facilities, all the access facilities set up, would, of course, be very useful indeed. So th- this, I mean, I guess this would mean things like ramps in and out, hoists to get people in and out of the bed, things like that. There very well maybe yes, that's certainly. I mean, it's quite normal, isn't it, to have a ramp? I mean, people use ramps, and then, and uh, you know, a, a hoist isn't isn't out of this world. I mean, very many people are, in their homes are using hoists, so why not use these same facilities in you know in a brothel? In your experience, Carrie, do prostitutes generally understand the particular needs of disabled people? Well, no, it's it's not unusual at all for um, sex workers to have. Um, people with disabilities as clients. You know, very many women do. Um, women provide services for people in all different situations. And if, if people have a particular disability, that's just another, that's just one more situation. One thing, I guess, is if this was legalised uh, just for people with, disa- uh, with disabilities, then uh, people who are not disabled might, I don't know, get a limp on, or, you know, they might fake a disability so they can have access. That's not how the, the law works, though, is it? That's not how the law would work. It, the, the, the question of the law is that um, women should be able to work together for safety, um, and it shouldn't be an offence. I mean, it's, you know, sex is, you know, prostitution is consenting sex and shouldn't be an offence um, under the law anyway. It shouldn't be an offence to sell sex. It shouldn't be an offence to buy sex. It's just consenting sex, and that's how it should be. How do you think people living in uh, an area like Milton Keynes, where this is, this, this is planned, would, would feel about this kind of establishment opening? Or do, do you not care about how they feel? Well, our experience is that most people feel that, uh, you know, are not, are not concerned. I mean, there are very many uh, brothels, really? parlours. Yes, absolutely. I would have thought that most people would have been concerned if there had been a, a, a brothel opening in their street. There are very many uh, brothels in very many high streets. Really? And people are not concerned. I'm so naive. You are. I am naive, <laughs> Carrie. <laughs> you are. Uh, but uh, there are brothels everywhere, and uh, people are not uh, generally concerned one, one iota. Um, they're, it's just another shop facility in your high street. Carrie, thanks very much for coming on. Nice to talk to you. You're welcome. Carrie Mitchell, spokeswoman for the English Collective of Prostitutes. Well, what do you think? Listen, I want to hear from you. Do you think there should be brothels exclusively, and let's try and stay on that, that, that track if we can, exclusively for disabled people? Would you object if there was one in your street? Carrie seems to think that no. No one objects these days to a, a, a parlour, a brothel in the street. No one minds. 
Would you mind? If it's exclusively for disabled people. It's offering a service for those who may be considered to be slightly disadvantaged. 08459 455 555. The lines are free. Give us a call. You can be the first person on the show. Speak to you after this. Mike Oldfield. Morning, Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. <clears throat> Should there be legalised brothels for disabled people? 08459 455 555. Maybe you think, yeah, do you know what? It's a fair play. It's a social need. That It's a requirement. It helps people who are slightly disadvantaged. Why not? Or perhaps you think it's disgusting and it shouldn't be allowed at all. Later on in the show, remind me... Um to tell you about the abuse I got yesterday on Twitter for saying I, I didn't like David Bowie. Oh, man. Oh, man. She's the one. Gary Kemp from Spandau Ballet got involved. He had a little cheeky little dig at me for liking the monkeys. I'll tell you about that later on. Now, this morning, we're continuing with our look at, look at housing-related issues, and today we're focusing on repossessions. More and more people face having their homes repossessed as they struggle to keep up with their mortgage payments. One council in Buckinghamshire runs a special service designed to help people stay in their own homes. Aylesbury Vale District Council's housing debt officers are able to argue the case for individuals before a judge at repossession hearings. David is one of those who benefited from their help. He spoke to our reporter, Tony Fisher. I was thrown into a situation whereby I was unable to keep up with my mortgage uh, uh, repayment for almost one year. The arrears accumulated and the Bank of Scotland decided to um, repossess the mortgage and um, I was referred to uh, credit counselling um, advisors and also a letter was sent to the Ellsbury Vale District uh, Housing Debt Advisors. So she was able to liaise with all the different agencies, government in land revenue uh, and, and your mortgage provider. And what was the outcome of that? Were, were, did, was that? Was that successful? Yes, it was very successful because uh, I... I, I couldn't see the possibility of uh, me uh, being able to reach that agreement without um, without her advice. So she was able to uh, speak to the Halifax Bank of Scotland, my my lender, mortgage lender, and uh, presented my all my documents. She was well, able to present your case for you, yeah, vouch for you and ex- your situation, and provide all your financial details. Exactly, and was able to convince them. And to let them know that um, I I have the right to be given the option of uh, interest-only repayment to give me time to uh, secure a job. Well, the council says it costs them about £30,000 to house a homeless person. Therefore, it's in their interest to try and ensure people stay in their own homes, especially in view of the shortage of housing stock. Deborah McRae is the housing debt advisor for Aylesbury Vale District Council. People want to stay in their own home and and often their circumstances will improve in the future. Um, So it's really just seeing them through a difficult time um, in a a lot of cases um, and and then they will be able to resume their their, their payments later. So you say you've had an increase of people coming to see you. Have you got any ideas of of numbers or figures? Usually about 65 to 80 referrals a month um, at the moment. Uh, which is um, quite uh, substantial, and they're all very different. Is that a, quite a big jump from last year or the year before? Uh, yes, it, it has been recently an increase, but it's been very steady over the years. And so you think mostly about 90% of those referrals you can deal with and hopefully keep people in their own homes? Yes, absolutely, yes. Um, 
in most cases we can um, keep people in their homes and negotiate something that's affordable um, by looking at the whole situation, the whole financial um, statement and dealing with all the debts because otherwise people are always robbing Peter Mm. to pay Paul. Does every council provide this service? No, we're a unique um, service um, for for councils in the area Um, and we've evolved over the time um, really developing a lot of skills to be able to to deal with all the um, uh, complexity of cases these days, yeah. You could argue that the service you provide is very valuable and and, uh, more councils should provide it especially in these current economic climate. Absolutely, yes. Um, and I do believe that councils are looking at doing that, um, that more um, in the future. Well, Luton is one of the areas in Beds, Hearts and Bucks with a severe housing crisis. The town is also top of the list in the three counties for repossessions. The council funds the Luton Law Centre to provide a similar service to that in Aylesbury. On the line now is Tom Shaw, the councillor responsible for housing on Luton Borough Council. Morning, Tom. Morning. How does Luton deal with people who are faced with repossession? Uh, oh, we've got various ways we deal with it. One of the first ones, we just said the law centre actually has someone on duty on repossession day, um, on eviction day at the county court, so we can give advice. But before they even get there, the council itself has dedicated housing solution officers, you know, and all their job is to deal with the mortgage companies, the landlords, everybody, to see if we can keep the people in their own house. So and we, how effective? We, how effective is that, Tom? It's very effective. Well, last year we had, to, in total, uh, four hundred and eighty-five people came to us as homeless. Not all repossessions, so some of those are being moved out of private sector accommodation. Mm. Uh, but the total number of repossessions what came to us was two hundred and seventy-one. But we only, in the end, had to accept 138 of those as homeless after repossessions. Why is Luton then top of the list in the three counties for repossessions? It's top of the list because uh, the town suffered very badly over the last three, four years with a loss of jobs. Uh, we're a construction town, we've got a lot of construction workers living in the town. And the, the stupid part about it is, uh, it's the construction workers what have been laid off, there's not as much work around for them. If we were building the houses we wanted to be building, the construction workers would be working. You know, it's, uh, but the schemes that Aylesbury Vale have got is we've had in Luton for three or four years now. Tom, what happens to those people who are repossessed? When do they become the council's responsibility to rehouse? The moment we accept them as uh, unintentionally homeless, and then we have to, they're our responsibility. Uh, you've run stories yourself over the last couple of months where we've bought blocks of flats in. Milton Keynes, and we've got a block in Enfield. Uh, we're pretty proud on Christmas Eve in Luton, we only had one person in bed and breakfast, and that was an elderly person. What uh, She needed a special care home, and we managed to get her in one on Christmas Day. Fantastic. There are some people who might say, when it comes to repossessions, that it's the individual's fault for taking on a mortgage that is risky at best. How much to blame are the individuals, and how much to blame are the mortgage providers? The mortgage providers used to, to be fair to everyone, used to be to blame when they used to give mortgages out of three and a half, four, four times a person's earnings. But it's like, uh, take the box all side at the moment where it's gone down to single working now. You know, feeling the people have gone. How can you blame those people? You know, they've lost their job. If they can't pay the mortgage, now you won't get it. It's very rare. 
some free benefits, you'll get your interest payments. Uh, that's why we've had to do some. We've put a rent deposit scheme into place now, where people who have been either repossessed or evicted can actually come to the council and we'll give them the deposit. I'll lend them the deposit to move into the private sector so they don't become, you know, uh, dependent on bed and breakfast or temporary accommodation. Tom Shaw, I appreciate your time. Tom Shaw, they're the councillor responsible for housing on Luton Borough Council. Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. You're right, Sophie. Yes, thank you. Yeah, how, how do you get into work? Do you get the, the trains or do you drive? What's, what, what route do you use? I cycle. You cycle? Yeah. And well, how was the traffic this morning, right? It was crazy. It was crazy, crazy. Because I thought, sorry, I thought you started um, at sort of six and yet you weren't there. We had James and it was all a bit, was everything all right? James just really, really wanted to uh, talk to you. Okay, so there was you, you weren't late for work or anything? Okay, my alarm didn't go off this morning, but luckily I live very close. Your alarm didn't go off? <laughs> Honestly, my phone died in the night and that's what my alarm You was. can't use your phone as an alarm. Use an alarm as an alarm. I don't wake up to them. They don't, they <laughs> what they does... Don't <laughs> you, don't wake, you don't wake up to those loud, irritating noises? Amazingly not. I know it. Apple's me too. <laughs> Sophie Tyler. <laughs> yeah. oh, I love it. Sophie Tyler, thank you very much indeed. Right, 6.30. Let's get the latest news and sport now. Catherine Boyle. Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Catherine. Morning. Just gone 6.30. Lots coming up in the next 30 minutes or so, including find out why you're more likely to complain now than five years ago if you have problems buying goods or services. What's the best response you've had from a company when you complained? I can't do it. I can do it on the phone. I can't do it face-to-face. I couldn't go into a shop and complain. Oh, oh no, I couldn't do that. Uh, And have you been cured or conned by complementary medicine? Arthritis Research UK will be on this programme to explain why they think there's little little scientific evidence to suggest that it works. Has it worked for you? I used to believe in all of that nonsense, and then I grew up. Chinese herbal medicine, bit of bark tea, Reiki. What, What on earth is Reiki? Is that the thing where you wave your hands over them? Homeopathy. Oh, my goodness gracious me. <laughs> it's Tina Turner. I don't know why that makes me laugh. It just does. I prefer steamy windows coming from the body heat. Morning, Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Restaurant. Now, uh, the restaurant, i tell you what I'm saying, restaurant. This, now, I'm thinking there's a business idea. BBC Three Counties Restaurant. We have Nick Coffer cooking. We have Jonathan Vernon-Smith as the maitre d'. Me being one of the waiters. Is it Helen Lee being a waitress? It all works out. What started as a slip of the tongue is turning into a very lucrative idea. Let me speak to the bosses and see if we can make that happen. The reason restaurants are on my mind is because... Supposing you're at a restaurant, right? And it's not very nice. BBC Three Counties restaurant, it would be lovely. Uh, but the one you go to, is not very nice. What do you do? Do you complain? I have taken the service charge off of the bill before. Uh, and the waiter said, I don't think you're allowed to do that. I said, oh, yes, I am. Oh, yes, I am. I once complained... And actually, I complain quite a lot now, I think, on it. I once complained in a restaurant because we went there for a Sunday breakfast, OK? And 45 minutes later, our breakfast hadn't turned up. And then my wife's turned up after 45 minutes. And I said, sorry, and mine is... They, what did you order? I said, right, what we're going to do is my wife and I are going to share this breakfast, then we're going to get up and we're going to walk out without paying you. And the waitress went... Yeah, okay. It's brilliant. Free breakfast. Or your microwave breaks, it's out of warranty. What are you going to do? Who are you going to call? Not the Ghostbusters, they can't help you. Well, research published by the Institute for uh, Customer Service 
suggests there is a growing complaints culture here in the UK. You're more likely now than you were five years ago to moan when you're unhappy. Well, Professor Kerry Cooper is Professor of Psychology at Lancaster University. Professor, why do you think we're complaining more now? Well, times are tough, Ian, and I think that's the difficulty. I mean, what's happening is, you know, when, you know money's precious now. And when you go buy a product or you go out to, for a meal, because people are having probably less meals than they ever have before, uh, given the, the, the downturn and everything else. And so I think basically you want value for money. You're, you know, you're much more conscious of what you're spending, and therefore the expectations are higher about what you should be getting back in return. Without, without slurring your good country folk, uh, Kerry, it, is it, uh, does it come from America, as a lot of these things do? Because yeah, you, you know, are always complaining. No, you know, Ian, you're absolutely right. Americans are real complainers. And they, by the way, they use the service charge. They use the tip in the States right. quite dramatically, both ways, by the way. Yeah. So unlike here where we might get, go to a restaurant and give 10%, the Americans, if they really get good service, could give 20 Ouch. 25%. Wow. But if they don't get good service or you know, what they expect, they might not give anything. So they actually use that a heck of a lot more than we do. We just automatically, it's a pro forma, isn't it? Most people just I, give 10% whether the service is good or not good. I've always thought, Carrie, that in restaurants, it would make more sense to tip the waiter before... Because if you give them a good tip before the meal, then you're going to get good service, aren't you? Oh, that's an interesting one. <laughs> hey, you, can do, you can do a little thesis on that if you want. Yeah. Is there a good way and a bad way of complaining? Yeah, I think the best way of complaining is to be non-emotional. Mm. I mean, if you're very emotional, one, so you go to a restaurant, the food is lousy, comes late and everything else. If you then complain really in an aggressive way, you say, well, you know, this steak is overdone, please, I, I said rare... They'll probably take it back, but God knows what they'll do in the kitchen. When this is the thing, isn't it? Yes. So don't even go there. I just, I think it's best to be kind of, try to be non, a bit rational, non-emotional. Uh, you know, be pretty specific and say, I'm really quite disappointed with this. And, you know, I really had higher expectations. And uh, Oh, that, you're, you're making me uh, want to cry now. I had higher uh, expectations. So you, you, might get, you might get some money knocked off. You might get a free meal the next time you come to try to encourage you to come back. It could be anything. And I think it's just, and normally it's not necessarily the fault of the person you're complaining no. to. That's the other problem. So a bad meal or a product that doesn't work, it wasn't the person who sold it to you, you're going to customer service. So I think it's, it's getting angry at the representative of that product or service. I don't think does them any good. And you want to get some, and it depends what you're trying to get out of this. Mm. And if you're trying to get something out of it, like you want a, a better meal the next time, you want a warranty to be honored, you want whatever you're looking for, the best way to do that is to be, I know you're feeling emotional because you're angry at not getting what mm. you expected to get, but it's better to be fairly, just calm yourself down, be a bit rational, think to yourself, in a sense, what do I want to get out of why I'm complaining? One of the new phenomenons is complaining on Twitter. People get really upset and they go to Twitter. And, and if you've got enough followers, I've done it, um, the company kind of steps in quite quickly, don't, don't they, generally? Which company? Oh, do you mean the company you're just, just com- Yeah, to? just companies generally. If, if, you, if I go on Twitter and say such and such has given me terrible, terrible service and they won't give me a refund, a couple of times those companies have kind of got back in touch and said, whoa, hey, get, go, there, let's sort this out and be friendly. What are you after? Yeah, you're right. I mean, social media is, you know, they're quite worried about social media, quite a lot of organisations. I've seen a lot of Twitter as well that's, that's complained about something. Also, it has much more of an impact in a way. 
that. I mean, it, rather than you doing it in a restaurant or just calling up on a one-to-one. Mm. So social media, of course, goes more viral. But you have to be a bit ca- careful about what you do when you complain. Because mm. you could get yourself in trouble, you know, if you say something on there that, number one, isn't true. It may have happened to you but didn't happen to anybody else. One thing I found with complaining, and I'm, I'm remembering a story now. Years ago, I ordered some uh, some curtains from a very, very big store, and they said it would take... Really expensive curtains. They said it would take six weeks for these curtains to come. So after six weeks, they hadn't come, and I phoned up. They said, oh, there's been, a, there's been a, an error. It's going to be another two weeks. And I kind of got angry with the person on the phone and asked to speak to the head of department. They're all saying, oh, we can't help. What I did, Kerry, mm. was I then found the email address of the CEO of the company and sent an email to him saying, look, this is outrageous, what are you going to do? That day, I got an email from his secretary saying, we're really sorry about this, we'll get this sorted out as quickly as we can. How would £250 worth of vouchers make you feel, sir? Very good. It's obviously you know the answers to these questions. Is, is, mean, is, is it right to kind of go, try Actually, and just go to the right. top? Going to the top works. It works for a lot of people, because the people at the top rarely get people going to them directly. Mm. And when, it, when, it, when a customer is going directly to somebody who's in a senior position... They'll make it happen. They don't want, they don't, you know, because it's rare. Yeah. If a lot of people did that, that, they would just take all those complaints and give it to customer service and let them deal with it. But when a few people do it, it can be very powerful. When was the last time you complained, Kerry? Um, I, you know, I, I, uh, I can't remember the last time I I think I've been anglicized. Oh, really? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Although I must admit it is changing. I am seeing it change now mm. in the UK. And I think it's all about now people not having as much money, mm. a bit frustrated. Uh, and also we lead such frenetic lives that we want things like the Americans have always done now. Instantly, we don't yeah. want it. We want it instantly. We don't want it yesterday. We don't want it in six weeks' time. We want it now. Isn't that true? Yeah. And people are actually saying, when a, a, a retailer says to you, listen, that's going to take uh, six weeks to come. I'm surprised you waited six weeks most people would say thank you very much yeah i'll go somewhere else kerry listen thank you very much professor kerry cooper professor of psychology at lancaster university fascinating he's right we do want it now don't we that that, that patience well yes you'll have your sofa in two months time well i did, can, sorry can we not have it by friday that patience thing is gone Wh- when was the last time you complained dear listener and what was the best result? My best result was that with the curtains. £250 worth of vouchers for a very big store. Bought myself a dining table and two chairs to go with it. Wonderful! I couldn't believe my luck! 08459 555. Tips for complaining and the best result you've ever had for complaining. Someone I'd never complain about, even when she's late. Sophie Tyler in the travel. Now, I'm sure lots of you out there have got experiences of complementary medicine. Maybe some of you have tried it out of desperation. Maybe you've always believed it. Has it worked for you? Or did you find it a complete con? I uh, indulged. I used to believe in it a long time ago. Cards on the table. I think it's a load of old guff, to be honest. Reiki, homeopathy, that Chinese herbal nonsense. I don't want to diss, you know, 1.6 billion people, but your medicine's rubbish. Well, a report shows that there's little scientific evidence to prove it works, particularly when it comes to arthritis and back pain. Arthritis Research UK carried out the research. Their medical director, Professor Alan Silman, joins us now. Good morning, Alan. Good morning. How did you assess the effectiveness of the treatments? Well, what we did is we, we looked for any report that had been done where they had attempted to show that the treatment was um, more useful, for example, than um, either standard treatment or doing nothing for a whole range of dif- these different therapies in a variety of different forms of arthritis. So we, we really scanned 
to find every single report that had been done on their effectiveness. So you're looking at all kind of different aspects of arthritis. W- what treatments did you look at? Oh, well, we looked at a, a whole range. We looked really at, at anything where a, a patient or, or a family could seek out treatment themselves from a complementary practitioner. Could it be osteopathy, chiropractor, acupuncture, aromatherapy, yoga, tai chi. There was a very, very large number of, of, of people out there who were advertising their wares. Now, isn't that interesting? Because I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't, I, I don't believe in any of this bunkum. I wouldn't consider osteopathy to be alternative medicine. And I use uh, use that, and it, it works for me. Oh God, I'm I'm a, I'm a hippie. Well, I, I think the 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 term um, alternative medicine tends to refer to those treatments that are sought out by the patient that are perhaps not offered through the conventional healthcare th- th- by your yeah. general practitioner or what have you. Although, for example, some like acupuncture in particular mm. are now coming into mainstream use. I think one of the other things about these alternative therapies is often we don't know why they work. Mm. Patients often tell us they feel better, but um, the, the, from arthritis research, you really doesn't understand why they work and if we don't know why they work then obviously we have a, a some suspicion and want to really sh- know um the, the the details of how effective they are before we can tell patients because i think the important thing mm. here is that patients have the knowledge to make the right decisions and are not just responding to something that somebody else has told so them. are you saying that in the research that you, you you sifted through you found that some of these treatments did work but you're discounting them because you don't understand how they work? No, I think um, we started off, because we didn't understand how they worked, we wanted actually to find mm. out um, whether they did work right. in, in, in trials. Um, and even if we don't understand how they work, for example, acupuncture, if that there is strong evidence that they do work, then we're happy to accept it. Mm. However, if, for example, something like aromatherapy, there's no biological, practical reason why it should work, then it makes sense to see whether, in practice, it does. And if it doesn't, then we can advise patients accordingly. Did any of these complementary medicines have any significant effect on arthritis? Oh, yes, there were quite a few. Interestingly, acupuncture does seem to be quite effective in in reducing pain. Yoga is is, um, useful, for example, um, in back pain. Mm. Um, Even something like relaxation therapy. But often these treatments were made not be because of the treatment itself but because for example the patient who's who's uh, taking the treatment believes mm. it's doing them benefit they feel good about it and that feeling good process um helps to reduce their pain now we could call this the placebo response um we could call it an, an, a non-specific effect of having the treatment but if if it's reducing pain maybe that's important there are some people who uh, the, the fans of homeopathy in particular who give it to their dogs and they say well it can't be the placebo effect because it's made um fido feel better so it must really work yeah i I mean i think we do have to be careful here and i think that's why it's important to look at um evidence from well-conducted uh research studies where they've looked at a large number of of patients um done the proper comparison and and the proper appropriate methods Uh, so and i think that's important and i think there's a large number of treatments and, and your listeners can go onto the arthritis research uk website have a look at the report have a look at their favourite treatment and see what evidence there is to support whether it's useful or not for them. Now, you're the medical director, you're a professor. I'm guessing, would, would assume from that you are a man of science, Alan. Have you ever uh, indulged in complementary medicine? Um, indeed, I have. I, I went to see a chiropractor because of uh, back pain some years ago. And it worked, didn't it? Uh, and it worked. Yeah. But, I, but I think the, the other th- important thing is often these things don't work for everybody. Yes. 
Um, and also, often, if you have something like back pain, you're often in a hurry to mm. get it better. And we know that for many people with back pain, even just taking general regular exercise and looking after themselves, they, they will recover spontaneously anyway. So maybe I thought it worked. Uh, Alan, thank you very much indeed. That's Prof- uh, Medical Director Professor Alan Silman from Arthritis Research UK. I'm always surprised when um, uh, uh, osteopathy is mentioned as a complementary medicine, as though it's slightly fringe. It's always worked for my back. Always. Go and see Brian. Brian's brilliant. Always works. Quite often works when I get... If I get a, a long run of headaches as well, it quite often sorts that out. Wonderful. But I, I'd forgotten about aromatherapy. We smell to get well. Now, that's obviously nonsense, isn't it? And, and people say, oh, well, if you can't sleep, try lav- put a bit of lavender oil on your pillow. No, it doesn't work. It's just, it, how is lavender oil going to make me sleep? Yeah? Homeopathy. Arnica, really. You know what homeopathy is, OK? It's a, a, a tablet that's been made by getting something, for example, Arnica, whatever that is, and then filtering it so it's like a thousandth of the strength and putting it in a little tablet. Well... How is that going to work? And can someone phone up and tell me what Reiki, Reiki, Reiki is? That's the bit where you just put hands over people, isn't it? It's all complete and utter... Chinese Acupuncture. I've had acupuncture. It flipping hurts. It re- those needles, it won't hurt. Yes, it will. It's a needle going into my calf muscle. It hurts and it does nothing. BBC Three Counties Radio, first for news. You made me laugh. I forgot about copper and magnetic treatments. <laughs> I've got a, a Greek aunt who's bonkers, and she has this bracelet that's, um, like, magnetic, right? And she goes, no, 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 it works. It makes me stronger, OK? So oh, really? She does. She takes it off, and then she goes, right, pu- push my arm down. And you push her arm down really easily. Then she puts it on, and she goes, right, now try and push my arm down. <laughs> and it's, it's a little bit harder, because what she's doing is she's tensing her arm. But you, Mark, they worked for Wonder Woman, didn't they? <laughs> They did work for Wonder Woman, yes. Thank you, Catherine. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Lots for you to get involved with. We've got a couple of lines free. I will give you the details in a minute, so sit tight. Some of the things we're talking about in the next hour include should there be brothels exclusively for disabled people? A former madam from Milton Keynes certainly thinks so. She wants to open one. We'll be speaking to her in the next few minutes. You heard me talking there about complementary medicine. Have you been cured or conned? Well, there's little scientific evidence that it helps to treat arthritis. What's your experience? Reiki? Copper and magnets? Aromatherapy? Oh, you don't, do you? Homeopathy? Chinese herbs? No, none of it works. And there is a growing complaints culture here in the UK. What's the best way of complaining? And what's the best thing you've got? Because you complained. I got 250 quid's worth of vouchers for a high street store. Beautiful. You can go to Facebook and have a little argument with some people there. Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. You can send us a text. 81333. Starting your text 3CR. Or you can give us a call. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. 
former madam from Milton Keynes says she wants to open the country's first brothel for disabled people. Madam Becky hopes to open the facility next year and says she would employ prostitutes who understand the needs of disabled people. I'll be talking to her in a couple of minutes. But first, BBC Three Counties brothel reporter Justin Dealey has been speaking to disabled people about this. Morning, Justin. Yes, hello, Ian. Where, where exactly are you? Sorry. <laughs> where, I realise it wasn't the most glamorous. Yeah. Where exactly have you been and what, who have you been talking to? Well, some very interesting views coming in. I'm in Dunstable this morning. I've been talking to people at the Disability Resource Centre in the town about these plans for this disabled brothel and this is what they've had to say in. I think it's a very brave step for her to take and I think it's one to be congratulated although I wouldn't want to be trying to sort out the legalities of it personally. Mm. You know disabled people who have used prostitutes in the past. What was their experience like? I think a lot of it was very positive although clearly often they may well have been involved with street girls where frankly the experience wouldn't have been very good but there were a lot of them who would have said to me you know i've had guys say to me you know they developed quite a long-term friendship with them where it was a business relationship but where their needs were well well met and you know if that solved their frustrations then i can you know Mm. i can fully understand why they did it we're being quite detailed with our conversation here but you talk about these needs this brothel we're talking about here if it had disabled access, you would presume people would use this and this would clearly work. Presumably it would. Um, it would be interesting to see how they will market it and how the public will react to it. One hopes the public will quietly accept it, as they do so many other brothels throughout the United Kingdom, but one has to wait and see. I, I personally wouldn't use one, but uh, I do know there are people that may need... You know, we all have needs, um, and people do find it hard to meet if they've got disabilities. I can't see why it wouldn't wouldn't work. And lastly, a word of yourself, sir. You actually know somebody who's booked a prostitute for their disabled son. They've actually made that call, haven't they? Yes, that's correct. Um, the parents felt it would benefit his continuing growth. He was a fairly young lad, uh, around about 1920, and they they paid for uh, an escort to spend some time with him, like I say, to give him the experience of a sexual relationship. That's Justin Dilley talking there. Well, we're joined now by Mick Scarlett, who is from Luton and campaigns for disabled people's rights. Morning, Mick. Morning. We'll come to you in a second. First of all, though, I want to speak to Madam Becky, whose idea this is. Morning, Becky. Good morning, Three Counties. How are you? Very well, thank you very much. What, what, What prompted you to come up with this idea? Well, obviously, um, as you know, I've run houses of ill repute for many years. And um, we had disabled customers, of course, and um, we did our best for them, and and they went on their way. Uh, But it wasn't until um, my book was uh, nominated for the Erotic Awards. And the Erotic Awards um, are run by the Outsiders Project. And the Outsiders Project are a group um, that help disabled people find romance or sort of sexual partners. And getting involved with the Outsiders um, project, I suddenly realised that even after sort of 20 years in the sex industry, I knew very little about how difficult life was for um, people with disabilities. And I was quite ashamed of myself and very, very humbled. What kind of response, Becky, have you had from disabled people about this idea? Oh, hugely positive hugely positive. I mean, bearing in mind that already um, there is a not-for-profits organisation that I run that finds sex workers for disabled people already, and that has been going for some time. 
Um, so it, it's not a, a completely new thing. Becky, let me speak to Mick. Mick, wh- how do you feel hearing about this? Well, uh, it's quite difficult, really, because I, I do find the whole subject quite annoying. Um, I think it's really sad that, yet again, we're focusing on the tiny number of people who are both disabled and who may want or feel they need to use the services uh, of a prostitute to uh, fulfil a need for a sexual encounter. I think what's really sad is that the majority of disabled people don't and we'll, we'll never want to. There, I, I think I, what was funny is you went to that place in Dunstable and you talked to all those people and they all said, I wouldn't do it, yeah. but I know someone that might. Yeah, a friend of a now, friend. Either, yes. no one wants it. And I think the thing is, just, yes, there are, there, are, there are people out there who, who have a, a life experience that means that they don't um, have the chance. And that's more to do with the attitude of society and also the confidence that they feel about this subject But Mick, themselves. we heard there, we heard there from the fella talking about his, his, his friends. They've got a 19-year-old lad, you, you, I, you, I hope you remember what it's like to be 19, you're full of but, raging hormones and you're, you know, and, and if he's unable, for whatever reason, to get a relationship, uh, then that it's, it's a positive service, isn't it? Hiring someone who can perform that specific need to, to yeah. help that lad along. See, the thing is, is surely the majority of, well, not the majority, but, but there was quite a large number of 19-year-olds who also aren't disabled and find it quite difficult to find a sexual partner. Mm. And so, what, is that just saying that it's the answer for everybody? Or is it just that only disabled people are just so tragic and unattractive that they have to use a prostitute? So, it sounds like that's you... what it does, is it creates this impression that disabled people in some way are so unattractive that they have to use prostitutes, and so it's all right for them to do that, and it's all right to start up brothels for disabled people. And that it, it damages the way society thinks about disability. Becky, you're it damaging makes... society's views on disability. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's a very interesting point on the thing. Um, I think that, obviously, from my point of view, even if you're fabulous and a very well-paid footballer, you know, every... People from all walks of society use prostitutes, and obviously I have my, my own views on that, having been in the business. Um, yeah, it's, it's um, a tricky one because, of course, my, my background isn't about people with disabilities. My background is sex, and um, I have a lot of people who come to me, some who are very, very sort of seriously disabled, um, soldiers returning from, um, you know, from Afghanistan and all sorts of different injuries, and they say to me for all sorts of various reasons that they they're not able to have sex. Many of them physically are incapable of relieving themselves, um, and I, I've also had groups of mothers who have uh, who work as support networks for families with um, young boys with autism, and who who come to me as groups of parents and say. This isn't going to happen for our son, if or our sons, if we don't help. Them. Oh, I'd feel, I feel so. If my mum got me a prostitute for whatever reason, I'd feel terrible. Well, it's not, it's, we're not just <laughs> talking about the sex here. We're we're actually talking about um, helping uh, young guys kind of interact with girls. Mick, it's about interaction, and it's about it's about people talking with, with, with girls. And it is a minority, of course. It's minority. I don't want to say for a second that hey, all disabled people can't pull because you know they're in a wheelchair or whatever. That's not the case. But there is a minority that are so severely disabled, isn't there, Mick, that they can't go out and interact 
uh, on a social level? See, I don't agree. I, I right. mean, I've got loads of friends who are, you know, severely impaired with disabilities that mean they can't speak or that they can't dress or they need help all day with personal care, mm. who have gone out and formed happy and loving relationships with people. And the thing is, it's to do with confidence. When you're a young disabled person, you're growing up, you live in a world where every time anyone mentions disability uh, and sex, the, the, the subject of prostitution pops up. Mm. You, and they always say, well, it's only this for the severe ones, the ones that have the problems, you know, those ones. Yes. Then when you're one of them, you think, well, that's it, I'm, I'm never going to form a relationship. You, you, it destroys your own emotional confidence. So then when you are 19 and you're ready to go out into the world and you think, you, you're, it's already too late. You already think, I can't have a relationship. And I'm not saying that there aren't people out there. And I'm, but I'm, I'm, as a campaigner, I campaign to make the world a better place. And so, you know, obviously we're talking in, I would like to make the world perfect. And some, you know, other people want to sort of look at the world and say, this is how it is now. And I just think that it's all right to say, you know, one day we'll live in a world, you know, uh, this is the way it is. But I don't, I don't think that it's a, a really legitimate reason to say, well, I'm going to open a brothel, mm. especially for disabled people, as if there's this huge market. It's kind of almost that the market, the, the idea feeds the market. If Mick, all disabled people are brought up to think, well, if you're really disabled, you're only going to get it if you go with prostitutes, then you're going to have that need because they aren't growing up to be confident enough to think, well, actually, there is someone out there for me. I've just got to go out there and look the same way everybody else does. Mick, listen, stay there. Thank you very much. We're running out of time. Becky, very quickly, I know that you, you, you get, you've had a lot of press about this. It's been in all the papers. It's been on the internet. Yeah. I know you very kindly turned down an appearance on this morning to be with us today. Thank you for that. Uh, is this actually going to happen, or is this just publicity for your book? Oh, no, no, no. It, it's absolutely going to happen. It happens already. Um, uh, obviously, we don't have uh, a set location. We, we go to people or we, we help people get to sex workers. So How it, likely is it that this, this, this location, this brothel, this, this, this parlour, whatever you want to call it, is going to open in Milton Keynes? Uh, it's, it's possible it'll open in Milton Keynes, although there are other areas who already happily this year? will licence massage parlours. So, um, you know, if Milton Keynes Council are really anti then um, we will take it somewhere where the council are more sort of forthcoming. Becky, we'll, we'll leave it there. Madam Becky Adams, who's talking about opening uh, a massage parlour, stroke brothel for disabled people, and Mick Scarlett from Luton and Campaigns for Disabled People's uh, Rights. 08459 455 555. You can hear further discussions and dispate, uh, d- uh, debates about disabled people visiting prostitutes on our new show about disability and mental health, Shrink Wrapped, Sunday from midday. Oh, a little bit late, but... I thought it was worth pursuing. Thank you, Becky. Thank you, Mick. Uh, if anything uh, that we're talking about this morning interests you and you want to have your say, now is an excellent time to call 08459 455 555. Now, this morning we're continuing with our look at housing-related issues and today we are focusing on repossessions. The housing charity Shelter says as we start the new year, almost one and a half million people are in rent or mortgage arrears, which could leave them vulnerable to having their house repossessed. One council in Buckinghamshire runs a special service designed to help people stay in their own homes. Aylesbury Vale District Council's housing debt officers are able to argue the case for individuals before a judge at repossession hearings. David is one of those who benefited from their help. He spoke to our reporter, Tony Fisher. I was thrown into a situation whereby I was unable to keep up with my mortgage uh, uh, repayment for almost one year. The arrears accumulated 
and the Bank of Scotland decided to um, repossess the mortgage. And um, I was referred to uh, credit counselling um, advisors, and also a letter was sent to the Ellsbury Vale District uh, Housing Debt Advisors. So she was able to liaise with all the different agencies, government, inland revenue, uh, and and your mortgage provider. And what was the outcome of that? Were, were, did, was that was that successful? Yes, it was very successful because uh, I. I, I couldn't see the possibility of uh, me uh, being able to reach that agreement without um, without her advice. So she was able to uh, speak to the Halifax Bank of Scotland, my my lender, mortgage lender, and uh, presented my all my documents. She was able to present your case for you, vouch for you and your situation and provide all your financial details. Exactly, and was able to convince them and to let them know that um, I I have the right to be given the option of uh, interest-only repayment to give me time to... A secure job. That's Tony Fisher speaking to David there, who almost had his house repossessed. Well, Shelter recently helped an elderly couple in Milton Keynes who are facing repossession. Robbie DeSantos is from the charity. Good morning, Robbie. Good morning. Almost one and a half million people could um, be left at risk of having their homes repossessed. That's a lot of people, isn't it? It is a lot, and it's, it's a real sign of the times that we're living in. So many people are struggling to get by just every week. Um, lots of people seeing their incomes drop, lots of people uh, finding their housing costs really unaffordable. So in a way, it's not a surprise that so many people are struggling to keep up with the mortgage or rent payments. Who's, whose fault is it? Is it that the people for borrowing too much? I, when I took my mortgage, I was kept in mind exactly how much I was earning and also if I could afford to pay it when I stopped earning. Or is it the mortgage lenders for, for being too generous? It's a mixture of factors, but we really did see some very reckless lending by mortgage lenders, um, especially in those years, the kind of what was the so-called boom years, mm. um, up to about 2008. You saw um, no kind of checks and, and balances on, on the kind of mortgage lending that was happening. And so lots of people could just borrow huge amounts of money that they could never afford to pay back, and the lenders should have known that. What sort of things can Shelter do to provide assistance for those who face losing their home? So the main thing that Shelter does is provide advice to people at risk of losing their home. And when we say advice, we mean information and support and very kind of a whole range of different uh, stuff to kind of help people be aware of their housing rights and then act on it so that they can keep their home. So we have uh, a very comprehensive website at shelter.org.uk where we have advice on every single kind of aspect of, of any problem that you could have on housing. But we also run a, a free helpline for people who are struggling, which is uh, 0800 0808 And we also provide um, face-to-face advice services, and we've got a few in the three counties area. Uh, a big one in Milton Keynes and one in Hatfield as well. You mentioned Milton Keynes, uh, Robbie. You, you, we, I, I just said at the, the introduction that you recently helped an elderly couple in Milton Keynes who are facing repossession. What, what, what was the story there? What was their situation and, and what did you do to help them? In, in, in this situation, um, the, the couple had been living in their home for a long time and had, uh, I think they'd actually paid off their mortgage, but then they remortgaged um, in the, in, I think, 2004 to... Um, 
to to fund the business or um, to borrow more money, um, but they couldn't pay it back. And then, because they borrowed this money on their home, they were at risk of losing their home, despite having lived there for 50 years. So this couple came to shelter, and we gave them advice and told them to, and, and supported them through the process of applying for what's called the Mortgage Rescue Scheme, which is a, a local uh, council-run scheme to help people keep their home. Uh, it means that you you um, effectively that the council buys your home and then rent it back to you as a kind of social housing mm. uh, but it does mean that after all that time you've you've still got you're still living in the home that you've lived in for however long and you're not faced with you know having to move having to find somewhere new and and all the kind of the transient and upheaval that comes with that and if, if you've been living there for 50 years you're really not going to want to to move some councils, uh, Robbie, we've discovered, do provide assistance, and some don't. Do you, do you think they all should? I mean, it's it's really important that um, there is a proper housing safety net, so that if something does happen, uh, you know, and, and as, as you know, one and a half million people are struggling at the moment, that, that there is support there for them. Um, it's, it's worrying that councils are cutting back on these schemes. Uh, but there are other ones out there. Um, I think that the person that you were speaking to before um, was using the support for mortgage interest payment, which is a national uh, scheme. And that means that you can, if, if you are struggling to keep up with your mortgage payments, you can convert to an interest-only mortgage and get support for those interest payments. So that can help you keep your home as well. So there is a range of things out there. But the most important thing is that people come to somewhere like shelter and get advice as to what support they can get. Is the number of people that, that are coming to you going up, Robbie? Yeah, yes, it is. Mm. Um, we're, we're seeing huge uh, volumes of people coming to us, and especially in the in the last few months. At the moment, uh, there's big changes to the housing benefits people receive, and that's driving a huge amount of people to us because um, it is really affecting the, the people's ability to pay their, their home. But we're also seeing homelessness rising for the first time in 10 years as well. In the last two years, it's, it's been rising after uh, a decade of decline. So we really are living in very tough times. And, and my advice to anyone would, would just be, if you're, if you're struggling, don't bury your head in the sand. Come to Shelter because we can help you get through your problems. Robbie DeSantos from uh, Shelter, thank you very much indeed. The BBC in beds, hearts and bucks. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. So I said yesterday on Twitter that David Bowie released his new single yesterday and the internet, the internet, I need to say something vulgar then, got very excited. Oh, he got very excited. Everyone on Twitter, oh, Bowie's back. Oh, David Bowie. Oh, David Bowie. Oh. And I said on Twitter, uh, David Bowie, calm down, Twitter. It's only David Bowie. He's only done two good songs, Changes and Dancing in the Street. Well... The backlash was incredible. I was getting abuse. I was getting people swear swearing at me. Some guy said, yeah, that's rich, coming from the poor man's Chris Morris. Oh, well done, a reference to something I did 12 years ago. It was awful. Gary Kemp from Spandau Ballet had a pop at me. He, he had a pop at me. I've got more followers than him on Twitter. He's got about 9,000. I've got 34,000. So I'm more popular than Spandau Ballet. I'm more popular than gold. I am, and that was a number one. So I could have been a number one. Uh, it all kicked off. It got very, very nasty. And I, in the end, I calmed everyone down by saying, look, I don't like the same pop star as you. That's it. I'm not 12, and this is not a playground. Now go away. Isn't it weird that the whole world yesterday went Bowie crazy, Bowie fever? 
It was on Sky News, it was on BBC News, it was on Radio 4, everyone. It's only a pop singer releasing a single. That's all. That's all. Calm down. Uh, we're talking about complaining. We are complaining more and more in this country. And I had to struggle to think of when, I, when I've complained. But then once I found a couple in my mind, the floodgates opened. Um, someone has texted in, 81333, starting their text 3CR. I took back some clothing to a shop the other day because it was defective and didn't notice it at the time. I told the lady I wanted a replacement, but I was polite the whole time. That's the secret of getting anything done. So many people shop online, and the result have lost the ability to hold a discussion. And then Colin and Hemel, my suggestion earlier on when we were talking to the professor about service charges and tips, is I think you should tip before the meal. Don't tip after the meal. Tip before. Give them a good tip before. You will get the best service you have ever had. Colin the Hemel says, Ian, you're correct. A tip is to ensure promptness. It used to be given before the meal. I might do that this week. <laughs> like I'm going out for any meals this week. I've cut back completely on all my, all my spending. I haven't been out for a meal for ages. But you should do it. Tip before the... When, when the waiter comes... Yes, sir, can I help you? Yes, I think you can. Here's 15 quid. Make sure we're well looked after. Thank you very much, sir. Then you order your meal. Never, uh, and the professor said it, and you should never send food back in a restaurant. Never. Because you know what... <sighs> Some of those chefs are dirty. You don't know what they're going to put in there. F- what are they going to rub on your steak? It's a sauce, and it's a sauce that you don't want. Or they get up to all kinds of mischief. If you've worked in a kitchen... Phone up, you can be anonymous. What have you done when someone sent back their food? I've heard stories. And it's been announced that the disgraced cyclist Lance Armstrong, stripped of his seven Tour de France titles because of doping charges, will give a primetime interview on US television to Oprah Winfrey next week. And that's your latest news and sport. More from me at eight o'clock. She's no Luke Ashmead or Jonathan Vernon Smith, is she? She certainly is not. They, w- they would give him what for? They wouldn't have had Tom Jones, Tom Jones, Tom Cruise bouncing on their sofas, that's for sure. I, 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 <laughs> Jonathan would have told him off. He said, do you do that at home? <laughs> Down. Thank you, Catherine. On FM, AM, and online. He would have done. BBC Three Counties Radio. JVS would have had stern words with Tom Cruise bouncing around on the sofas and the chairs. Jonathan is back next week, I believe. David Prever is filling in for him this week and doing a superb job, but uh, JVS is back on Monday, I think, if this holiday ever ends. Coming up, <coughs> excuse me, in the next 30 minutes, the government is to announce the low, that low-risk offenders will be supervised by the private sector on a payment-by-results basis. We'll have a preview of that announcement next. A report claims there's a lack of evidence to prove complementary therapies work. Have you ever used them? Um, Reiki, aromatherapy... Copper and magnetic treatments? 08459 455 555. And also, we have a little treat for one of our favourite reporters here on BBC Three Counties Radio. Uh, 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give us a call. The government is announcing plans to overhaul the probation service. Uh, The idea is to transfer much of its work to private sector companies and voluntary bodies. Ministers hope that there'll be significant savings, but the probation officers' union, NAPO, believes public safety will be compromised because fewer staff will be employed. Well, our reporter, Simon Thompson, uh, has got more details. Good morning, Simon. Hi, Ian. Good morning. Morning. How common is reoffending amongst former prisoners? 
Well, sadly, it seems very common. In 2011, a record number of offenders sentenced for serious crimes were found to have committed previous offences. Some 90% of those, in fact, who were sentenced across England and Wales had offended before, and almost a third had committed or were linked to 15 or more crimes. Now it seems the government's turning to the private sector to try to cut those re-offending rates. What's the Justice Secretary proposing? Well, at the moment, the Public Sector Probation Service, through its 35 trusts across England and Wales, manages most, or if not all, released prisoners and people serving community sentences. What Chris Grayling's proposing is to shift responsibility from the uh, probation service to the pr- private sector for some 200,000 medium and low-risk offenders. So private companies and charitable bodies and other public bodies, if they so wish, could bid for probation contracts, and they'll be paid according to their results in cutting reoffending. So if they don't achieve results, they don't get paid. Now the public probation service will continue but their focus will shift to the 50,000 high risk offenders including all serious violent and sexual offenders. As well as that the Justice Secretary also wants to see everyone who goes through prison including those on short term sentences under a year given rehabilitation. At the moment if you're serving less than 12 months it's voluntary. And these proposals will also go through a very short four week consultation period so he obviously wants to act quickly. And how is the government promising to back the changes? Well, what they're promising is a bit of money, not much, £500,000 to pay or support voluntary and community sector groups in helping them prepare bids for probation contracts. So if they haven't bid before, it can be a daunting process, quite difficult to understand, get your head around things. And so that money's there to provide support to these organisations as they prepare their bids. As well as that, uh, the government's promising a network of justice data labs, or one national justice data lab, a bit of a mouthful, but basically a centre to help uh, sharing information on reoffending uh, amongst the different rehabilitation organisations. Now, Chris Grayling, the Justice Secretary, says what we do at the moment is send people out of prison with £46 in their pocket and no support at all. No wonder, he says, we have such high levels of reoffending. We know across the public, private and voluntary sectors there's a wealth of expertise and experience and we need to unlock that to try and reduce those reoffending rates. What's been the reaction to the plans? Very negative, it has to be said. Harry Fletcher from the Probation Officers Union, NAPO, expressing real alarm about these changes, or these proposed changes, says the government's plans are astonishing, purely ideological, and says they haven't thought through the consequences. He also warns warns that the reforms could compromise public protection. Now, Juliet Lyon, she's director of the Prison Reform Trust, a similar message from her. Uh, She says, why not build on the success of joint work by probation, police and voluntary organisations, for example, where they have uh, worked with them uh, offenders. Uh, they've managed, to, on the probation service uh, schemes, they have managed to actually cut reoffending to about 35%. And she says, why not focus on the work that's already been done, rather than try and break up the probation service and put the public at risk, she suggests. Simon Thompson, thank you very much indeed. Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, we all love a little bit of Justin Dealey, don't we? He's one of the greatest assets that this station has, and I mean that genuinely. I think he's a breath of fresh air, and I think he's a fantastic broadcaster. Justin, I can say, I could never say it to your face, <laughs> but I can say it over the airwaves like this. Oh, Ian, I love you too. Good morning to you. Good sir. morning to you. But I'm not the only person hmm. that loves you. Are you talking about this guy that was in contact a couple of days ago <laughs> with, with this song? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, this is a guy called Scott. Yes. 
He, um, he's, a, he's a friend of mine, I know him, uh, and he is a huge fan of yours. Genuinely, <laughs> there, is no, there is no sarcasm, there is no irony. He uh, genuinely thinks you're brilliant, OK? Yes, I mean, he needs to get his ears syringed. No, he does, he thinks you're funny. He's a bit of a geezer like you, Just. Yeah. Bit what, of a geezer. One of the boys. And he keeps texting me photographs of you. <laughs> <laughs> but also, he's taken it one stage further. Hmm. He's written a song. He sent me a recording of the song. Would you like to hear it? Yes, I'd like to hear it. I'm slightly concerned, but I'd like to hear it, please. It's called I Love Justin Dealey. <laughs> and it goes like this. One, two, three. I love Justin Dealey from Bed's Hearts and Bucks. He's got a lovely, honest voice. Even though I love him, guess I'm out of luck. Cos he's just one of the boys. But I'm gonna make him love me, gonna make him care, gonna run my fingers through his hair. You don't love me dearly, but I love you, and I know exactly what to do. Gonna wait until you're after somebody new, then I know exactly what to do. Gonna take you to my favourite record fair Gonna buy you every record there I love Justin Dealey from Bed's Hearts and Bucks Bed's Hearts and Bucks Woo! Yeah! Oh, I like that. Thank you, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's made me giggle so much. Oh, I love the bit about the record fairs, because he's got my spots on there. He knows you. Would you, would yeah. you be impressed if he bought every record there yeah, for you? Yes, I would be. I'd be very, very impressed. Very impressed indeed. Now, how do you find that? He, uh, he was worried that you might find that a little bit scary and consider it bullying. Yes, yeah, it's, 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 it's slightly creepy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's nice. He's got a good voice. And the song makes perfect sense. You know, running his fingers through my lovely soft blonde hair. He's got a point. <laughs> Justin, you're Good sport. I'll speak Thank to you, you later on. Thank you very much indeed. Across beds, hearts, oh and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. <sighs> dear, oh dear, oh dear. We, I was toying with the idea of getting Scott, who wrote that song, on, and I just thought that maybe it, it could be a little bit too uncomfortable if he finally got to speak to his hero. We, we, we may play that again later on in the show. Uh, we're talking... Um, well, well, look, this, this e- next email covers both th- a couple of things. We're talking about brothels for disabled people after a Milton Keynes um, a madam is suggesting that she's going to start one specifically for disabled people. Uh, uh, ben in Buckingham says, as a disabled person who has RP, I don't see any problem with a brothel for disabled people, as some may find it hard to attract a partner and everybody has needs as they shouldn't be discriminated against ben then goes on to tick another box for us we're talking about complaining we're complaining more and more in this country when did you last complain and what was the best thing you got out of it ben says on the subject of complaints my dad is excellent and has had things like money back vouchers bottles of wine just for making a complaint it does pay off as i say i got 250 pounds worth of uh, vouchers for an excellent, an upper-class high street store. When I say high street store, it's not in every high street. I bought a, a, a dining table and a couple of chairs to go with it. Superb. Lovely. When was the last time you complained? And what did you get out of it? The other thing we're talking about... I, 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 I'm, I've only been here three or four months. I think I'm beginning to get the, the, the right judgment of you. You're an intelligent bunch of listeners, OK? You, you are scientific. You are rational. You think things through. 
We're talking about complementary medicine today. And I, I can't believe that any of you listening to this are those wishy-washy sorts that actually buy into homeopathy, that actually think Reiki works, that go to the Chinese herbal shop on the high street. I, tr- I tried all of this stuff years ago, about 25 years ago. Isn't, it's all a load of old nonsense. It doesn't work. Those Chinese herbs, it's a load of bark you boil up. It tastes like licorice. And all it did was give me bad skin. Homeopathy, it's, it's an element that's been watered down to a thousand percent... No, hang on a second. A thousandth of its natural strength. How is that going to work? How is taking an Arnica tablet, when there's hardly any Arnica in it, going to calm you down? Aromatherapy, we smell to get well. Crystals, oh dear. Magnets and copper. Now, look, I'm I'm sure that you listening to this, you don't believe in this nonsense. You are too intelligent to buy into this guff. If you have tried it, or if a member of your family, let's be honest, your wife, it's going to be women, isn't it, that's tried this. If, If a woman in your life has tried any of this nonsense, could you give me a call? Oh eight, a couple of lines free now. Oh eight four five nine, four double five, five double five. The defenders of homeopathy say, "Well, it can't be. It can't be a placebo because uh, there are uh, tests where they've given it to their dogs." Yeah, and how can it be a placebo? A dog doesn't doesn't know what's going on, yet the dog gets well. No, it doesn't work. It doesn't work at all. Oh eight four five nine. Four double five, five double five. If you're a practitioner in, uh, in in one of these um, ridiculous fringe treatments, could you give us a call? I'll be generous and gentle with you. Love to hear your point of view and your case studies of people that it's worked for, because I just can't believe in it. The only one of those fringe things that works is, is osteopathy, and I know that because I've done it. And there's there's kind of a loose science to it. It's the manipulation of of bones and muscle to um, achieve a result. So that does work, and that's obvious that it works. But uh, And what is Reiki? Is that the laying on of hands? Is that uh, aligning your chakras? I used to believe in chakras and all of that tosh. It doesn't work, does it? It's complete and utter nonsense. If you've ever used it, and you disagree with me, or you're a practitioner, could you give us a call? Look, two lines free now. But before that, here's the weather with Kate Kinsella. That's your forecast. Kate, you seem like a lovely lady, but from what little... No, you do. Uh, from what little I know, though, I kind of get the impression that maybe you're a little bit airy. Do you... Are you a fan of homeopathy and things like that? Um, not so much now. There was a time... Yeah. In, uh, earlier on in my life where, yes, I was banging into it, but... Uh, <laughs> Can you be banging just... into homeopathy? <laughs> And now it's like, I don't have time now. I'm I, sure it's all very nice and lovely. Mm, I was banging into what it when mean? I was... I'm kind of airy. Huh? You described me as airy. <laughs> Got to move on, Kate. Lovely to talk to you. <laughs> oh, my goodness. She picked up on that. I didn't think she'd heard. A new report shows there's a lack of evidence to prove complementary therapies work. Arthritis Research UK says the findings give a mixed picture, with some therapies being effective, but not for all conditions. They also give each treatment a safety rating. Well, Professor David Cahoon is a leading pharmacologist from the University College of London. He joins me now. Good morning, Professor. Oh, Professor, are you there? Professor. 
We'll come to you in a second. Let's go to uh, Anna Lee Robinson. Is from Bovingdon. Good morning, Anna. Good morning. Uh, you've tried all kinds of therapies, which have worked well for both you and your family. What kind of things have you tried? It started off with the Vega test for my son, which uh, my son had some severe behavioural problems when he was growing up. Yes. The Vega and test? The Vega test is um, an invasive test to find out any intolerances or allergies that you have. Um, and that picked up when he was about three and a half that he had severe intolerances to salicylate. Um, now, I'm anaphylactic to neurofen and aspirin, which is salicylate-based. So uh-huh. um, it doesn't normally run in families. It just so happened that he had a severe intolerance to it. Now, yeah. he hasn't got an allergy because he won't die from it. I would die from my allergy. So you he, would die if you took neurofen or aspirin? Yes. Wow. Yes. So Harry has an intolerance um, or had an intolerance to salicylate. And this affected his um, brain, his body. He couldn't uh, process the salicylate. Now, salicylate is a natural chemical found in all fruit and vegetables, and it's in your diet everywhere. Right. Now, um, Mm. through processes, we cut out all the the really uh, high-valued salicylate fruit and vegetables. They had a very, very basic diet. Through the years we progressed, we then went on to kinesiology, and that worked. Kinesiology? Kinesiology is muscle testing. And muscle testing is where the body's able to um, describe to the practitioner what is happening within the body. Now, when he saw the first kinesiologist, and I travelled 200 miles to see the kinesiologist, because you become connected to these people, and basically, when he was about five and a half, and I can't remember the years now, it was so long ago, he had all his baby reflexes still, which meant that he was hitting out, he was lashing out at yeah. other children. And it so how, how did, sorry, just because I know we've got the professor back and he has to go in a few minutes, how did the, the, the alternative therapies help that? Basically, it stopped this lashing out. The, the food allowed his brain to cope right. and uh, communicate properly because when he was very young, he was unable to communicate. He could talk, yeah. but he couldn't communicate properly. Profe- let me just go to the professor. Professor, you heard there, Anna Lee, um, talking about things like kinesiology and things like that. What do you make of all that? <laughs> Hello, professor. <laughs> Hello, yes. Yes, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you now, thank you. Excellent stuff. Kinesiology is complete and utter myth. Utter rubbish. <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. Well, Anna Lee seems to have a, a positive experience of uh, kinesiology. Well, I expect it just got better anyway. That's the usual case. Anna Lee? Uh, well, if you have a son that's been diagnosed with ADHD and Asperger's and you have doctors that actually won't help you and the NHS actually described me um, when we went to actually see a consultant that it was my parenting that was the actual problem, then when you don't have help from the NHS, who are supposedly there to help and, and support families, then you try other measures. Professor, Anna, Anna Lee was, was, was desperate, and she wasn't getting help from conventional routes. Uh, can you blame her for turning to alternative therapies? 
Well, no, not really, but there's definite evidence that kinesiology doesn't work for anything. But um, the have reason why... Have you had a child? Have you personally had a child that has yes, been I diagnosed have. with any serious problems? Have you had a child that you haven't got support for? Have you had a child that you've seen turn from a child that can't communicate that is now into mainstream school? Have you seen that? Have you well, gone let him answer, Professor. through that... <laughs> Problem. Professor? Uh, I haven't had that particular no, exactly. problem. My child, so my, judge my son has had problems. No, it's, it's just very easy to be fooled. The reason that people um, try these quack things is largely because conventional medicine can't do anything. And it's, it's very sad that it can't do anything, but it's the case. And, <laughs> it, 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 you know... It, it, things like low back pain, for example, 85% of cases, you don't even know what causes it. And you can't do much about it. Acupuncture doesn't work, contrary to what arthritis research UK say. Um, acupuncture is amazing. Exactly. And I've done acupuncture myself. And I haven't cost the NHS loads of money by going to and from. I go and see Beta Health Clinic in Hemel, Martin Sillerton. He saw me once for a trapped nerve in my arm. He put the needles in and I tell you what I never had to go back after one treatment but, and I couldn't move my arm. There's and evidence Professor. yesterday did I send a colleague to work who's got a slip disc who actually couldn't move her neck and she went to see him and after she came back she was able to move her neck. Professor there's evidence there's two there's two case studies. Oh, I case don't know. Case My husband... Case, case, case 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 let's let him talk. Go on, Professor. Sorry. Case studies are worthless. You have to have proper randomised controlled trials. And when they're done, there's 3,000 trials being done on acupuncture, and they show that it has... Uh, if you compare acupuncture with some acupuncture, they always come out the same. If you compare acupuncture with no acupuncture, which, of course, is not blinded, then there's a slight advantage for acupuncture, but it's not big enough to be clinically significant. That's the facts of the matter. Everything else is people getting better anyway. Right, okay, so we go to the doctors on a, on a Sunday night to A&E. My husband's broken his ribs. They don't do anything. They don't do anything for broken ribs. He's actually not only broken his ribs, he's actually, they've splintered, and in the end we had to go and see a homeopathy, uh, acupuncturist mm -hmm. to actually get the pain relieved from his head that the broken ribs had actually caused from the fall. Then he got pleurisy because the bones had gone, it scraped his lungs, and the hospital did nothing because there is nothing they can do for broken bones in a rib. So you tell me... That's right, there isn't anything. <laughs> You're right. Yes, but so my husband, in the end, had severe pain in his head because of the fall, and we've had to go and get the pressure released, and we were told that we had to go for an MRI or one of these big scans, but the doctor couldn't send us that night, but he thought maybe we had a blood clot on the brain, and it wasn't urgent, but we needed to go next but day. But you didn't get an MRI the scan with the, 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 the um, acupuncturist, did you? That's, that's just the, no, the that's NHS the being hospital. pushed to it. The NHS, the NHS is pushed to its limits. Pardon? The NHS is pushed to its oh, limits. absolutely. And I have to say, the NHS, if people like me and other people followed the alternative routes, the doctors, the professors, wouldn't have the money they have now because it's all money spinning. I've been to the homeopathist. I've had my son, who was in a specialist school, 
is now into mainstream school after having a course of homeopathy and an intense course of homeopathy. Why do people travel all over the world to see Natasha Lindemann in Bedford, who is the most... Annalie, listen, we're running out of time. We put that to Professor. Professor, people, people swear by homeopathy. Homeopathy is utter fraud. There's nothing in the pills whatsoever. <laughs> it's a very good example. The reason they go to them is because they're desperate, because there are some things which conventional medicine can't cure. But homeopathy is the most obvious of all the frauds, because there is nothing whatsoever in the pills. It's very simple. Are you, say, are you outdated? Are you, are you in the old-fashioned state that medical... You're obviously in the old-fashioned state that medicine will be the only thing that will cure anything. You haven't come... I'm just saying years the opposite. Ago, saying... Years ago, when they were the cavemen and everything, they didn't have... Yeah, and they died cases. really young, Annalise. They did. They died really died young. young. You're, you're, I'm not saying they didn't die young, but <laughs> they coped with many more things than we have to cope with now. And I have to say that we are... Um, a, a nation that is living longer because of um, food, uh, etc., but not down to all the health. Okay, I'm... Annalie, listen, we're out of time. Professor, I'll let you have the last words. It's very sad that people get taken in by these therapies, which are little more than fraud. And the reason they do it, as I say, is because. There are some things which conventional medicine can't do very well at, so they get desperate, and they go to these crap pots, and that's very sad. Professor David uh, Carhoon, thank you very much indeed, and uh, Annalee Robinson from Bovingdon, who tries all kinds of therapies and believes in two completely different views. Um, you mentioned, Annalee mentioned the cavemen there. They, yeah, they died really young. They all died really young. Uh, well, what do you think? Annalee almost literally swears by it, whereas the professor thinks it's crack pots, and nonsense. What's, what, what are your views? What are your stories? 08459 455 555. People get very passionate about this. And Annalise seemed to buy the whole thing. The, the, the acup- I've had acupuncture. Didn't do anything for me. It hurts. Acupuncture hurts. Oh, this needle won't hurt. Yeah, the needle in my calf muscle, that hurts. Sorry, you've caught me eating a chocolate. How rude. I could have waited till the news, but someone came in. Kelly Betts came in with some chocolates that don't even belong to her. And I had two. Uh, We'll take you more of your calls after eight and the latest news with Catherine Boyle. BBC Three Counties Radio, first for news. I don't know if you heard that discussion between the professor and uh, Annalie, who's a fan of um, alternative therapies, Catherine. Uh, Did you know there was no treatment for broken ribs? I didn't know that. Well, I suppose, what do you plaster? Mm. I thought people got plastered from the neck down. I thought they, I thought, yeah, I've seen people with plasters around their body. So so if you break a rib, what happens? It just stays there, broken. What if it's all sticky-outy? Technical term. Technical, yes. You did well at medical school. Thank you, Catherine. Well, the the, the big headline today, there's no treatment if you break your rib. What do you do? If you've broken a rib, I know I'm speaking to a minority of people now. If you've broken a rib, could you give me a call? What happened? What, you just let it... You smell to get well? Is that what happens? Lots coming up in the last hour of the show before David Prever at nine including should there be brothels exclusively for disabled people. A former madam from Milton Keynes certainly thinks so. She wants to open one. We'll debate whether it's a good idea next. There's a growing complaints culture here in the UK. Two things. What's the best way of complaining? And what happened when you did it? 
And have you been cured or conned by complementary medicine? We're looking at claims that there's little scientific evidence it helps to treat arthritis. What are your experiences with it? Have you tried it? We had a caller just then, a guest on who is a big fan of it and, and completely advocates it. Says it's changed her family's life. What do you think? Lots of ways to get in touch. Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. You can send us a text 81333, starting your text 3CR. Or you can give us a call. Phones are quite busy, but they're still a line free. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, a former madam from Milton Keynes says she wants to open the country's first brothel for disabled people. Becky Adams plans to install hoists and ramps and employ prostitutes who understand the needs of disabled people. She joined me on the show earlier this morning. I have a lot of people who come to me, some who are very, very sort of seriously disabled, um, soldiers returning from, um, you know, from Afghanistan and all sorts of different injuries. And they say to me, for all sorts of various reasons that they, they're not able to have sex. Many of them physically are incapable of relieving themselves. Um, and I, I've also had groups of mothers who, have, uh, who work as support networks for families with um, young boys with autism and who, who come to me as groups of parents and say, this isn't going to happen for our son if, or our sons if we don't help them. Oh, I'd feel, I feel so. If my mum got me a prostitute for whatever reason, I'd feel terrible. Well, it's not, it's, we're not just <laughs> talking about the sex here. We're, we're actually talking about um, helping uh, young guys kind of interact with girls. Oh, that was Madam Becky uh, earlier on. BBC Three Counties reporter Justin Dealey has been speaking to people at the Disability Resource Centre in Dunstable about what they think of the idea. I think it's a very brave step for her to take, and I think it's one to be congratulated, although I wouldn't want to be trying to sort out the legalities of it personally. Mm. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they will market it and how the public will react to it. One hopes the public will quietly accept it, as they do so many other brothels throughout the United Kingdom, but one has to wait and see. Uh, my question is, why not? If it's legal and it's not breaking the law in any shape or form, then everyone has that right to choose. Well, Peter, we've heard from a few men that say this would work. As a lady, can you see this brothel working? I think it could do. When I used to live in London, there was one on my estate, and that seemed to work for disabled people. My ex-husband's view was that if they can't get it anywhere else and these ladies are offering a discreet service, then why not? Do you think some people will be outraged by this, though? I think if they're shallow-minded, then yes, they probably would be. If they don't think about the bigger picture. Some, it might be difficult for some disabled people to find a partner, and this is fulfilling a need that they have. And say if it's discreet, then what's the problem? I, I personally wouldn't use one, but uh, I do know there are people that may need, you know, that we all have needs, um, and people do find it hard to meet if they've got disabilities. I can't see why it wouldn't wouldn't work. Yeah, I don't have needs anymore. Well, Neil Coyle is from Disability Rights UK, a charity which supports disabled people, and Asta Philpot is a disability consultant who's planning to open a brothel for disabled people in Spain. Morning to both of you. Morning. Hello. Neil, we'll start with you first. Hi. Is this a good idea? Well, I think it's, it's recognising that there is a, uh, a gap in the market, as it were. Um, there are disabled people who have clearly suggested that there is a unmet need. Chris Walton, who, who put the issue on the national agenda tonight, uh, has, has highlighted uh, a need. Where, where we have some concerns is 
um, the if, if you like the, the, the demographics of the, of sex workers suggest that there are many uh, women who who come into sex working not necessarily by choice, and and there is a mixture of uh, drug and alcohol dependency and mental health problems. Do, do many disabled people raise this issue with Disability Rights UK? Neil? I can't say they do. No, and no. in the context of. Um, just yesterday's vote in Parliament, for example, will see more than a million disabled people lose out in one way or another through a very low rating of benefits. Uh, uprating of benefits to 1% means that, that you know, as I say, more than a million disabled people are, will be uh, experiencing poverty. So in, in that context and in the context of the government taking money away from councils in particular to provide social services means we get contacted by disabled people, families, carers, older people who say... We don't have enough support to eat, get out, get washed, get clean, get, you know, that, those kind of very basic uh, essentials are unmet. Asta, you're planning to open a brothel for disabled people in Spain, is that right? Yeah, it's more of a, uh, I'd say it's more of a therapy centre, really, where, um, where people with disabilities can go, have a, an amazing experience, and, um, uh, and, and more, more so as well that it's not going to be um, it's going to be a non-profit because I'm going to do it under my uh, charity after Philpot Foundation. So, so it's, you know, while I agree with Neil and, you know, th- th- there are benefits being taken away and, yeah. you know, and you've got to watch the ethical thing. But, you know, every time we look at sex and talk about sex, it's always from a negative point of view. So hang on, so are you saying that you're going to be offering, in, in this place in Spain, you're going to be offering disabled people free sex with prostitutes? Well, it, you know, uh, that word again, you know, prostitute, right, it's, it's with, more with of a... Free sex, free sex. Yeah, it, it, well, it, 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 it's almost like a holiday. It's going to be called After Virgin Holidays. Um, so, you know, people with disabilities that express um, that longing and to be intimate with another um, girl or another human being, it's going to be unisex, by the way, as well, um, right. come to this centre, not only experience just sex, but experience a whole array of therapies and it's almost going to be like a, a mini vacation for them as well but is, is it free from... yeah, yeah absolutely we're going to do it all under because we've got we've got two italians working on a, a website at the moment and it's it's a porn website and all the charity from all the profit from the website is going to go to um this project um to get it off the ground but i, I think uh, as a whole i think we need to stop talking about sex as a negative thing and more uh, as a positive thing. The same with disability. Every time we talk about disabilities, either about benefits or this or that, it's always negative. Let's start lifting the consciousness of it and being a bit more positive and maybe things might turn around, but I think she's a brave lady doing it in this country because uh, it's going to be tough, you know, and she's going to have... yeah, she, she's going to have a people thing, you know, I don't think it'll work. Neil, Astor's uh, place in Spain, when it gets up and running, it, it sounds unique. What, what do you make of a place like that? Ne- never heard of anything like it. It sounds um, like a fantastic experience for some people. I would be personally very nervous of using the Virgin brand or the uh, or, and being aware of uh, Spanish law, but uh, coming back to the UK, um, it, it's definitely a fair point. The, the sex laws in the UK are... Uh, different to other countries, the the origin of the, the campaign to try and generate uh, more public support for disabled people to be able to access relationships like this came from a Dutch model. Obviously, the law is very different in Holland. Um, we, we we have a different system, and anyone uh, you know looking into this issue needs to be aware of UK law. 
Um, Look, I've, I've, ever since two thousand, ever since two thousand and seven, when my friend died of muscular dystrophy, he talks about it all the time, wanting this experience, and he died without ever having it. I've explored since two thousand and seven this the whole subject, and I know the Spanish law, and I know everything. So you know, we, we're on it. And at the moment, I've got a movie out about sex and disability. It's going to be released into England. You know, it's doing really well. We've won loads of awards. So. I know the whole game, man. You know, so it, okay. it, it's going to work. And Asta, you you know the whole game. You know, uh, you 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 do have a disability, and you've used prostitutes, yeah. have you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and uh, it, it because I want because I want to experience that. Intimate, intimacy. But you sound. Listen, I've got being. no idea. I've got no idea what you look like. I've got no idea if you're an ugly bloke or an attractive bloke. But you <laughs> sound. You sound intelligent. You sound. Uh, you sound witty. You can. I'm, I'm sure you. you could find a in quotes in inverted commas a, a normal relationship without having to pay for sex, couldn't you? Do you know what? I am not blowing my own trumpet. I am intelligent and I am witty and I am good looking. Pay extra for that. Do you know what? People always look at the physical image first, well, I and I think I... we need to get. I think we need to get beyond that in looking at the person within. Neil, is, is that right? Where the true love comes. Pe- people from. see the wheelchair or the sticks or the calipers or something before they see the person. I can't claim any of the attributes that <laughs> the other comes has, um, but yes, we we do find um, you know disabled people are um, there are barriers to forming uh, relationships, and that can be from things like um, the way public services are configured. So if if even in an existing relationship, if a disabled person is told by the local authority we can only support you in a residential care home, how is that relationship and the sexual part of that relationship going to be sustained? There are, you know, there are disabled people who are told who who are provided with aids and adaptations by uh, a local authority. Uh, we need to put you in a specific bed or on a mattress on your bed, which pre- which puts you about a foot higher in the bed, this is a real example, than your husband. Mm. Now, you know, there are some very practical uh, reasons that, that, that social services in particular get, uh, can interfere in, in, in disabled people's relationships. But there is, I think there is a need here, uh, it's, it's gone unrecognised, disabled people do have sex, get over it, it might be a bit of a taboo, uh, but uh, disabled people are not equal in today's society and yet we see massive reductions in the support available to disabled people coming from this government. Neil? Thank you very much. Neil Coyle from Disability Rights UK and Asta Philpot, uh, a disability consultant who's planning to open a brothel for disabled people in Spain. And hey, guess what? It's going to be free. David Priva. Good morning. Good morning, sir. How are you doing? You're right. Oh, I'm all right. You're annoying me, though, frankly. Excuse me. I beg oh, your pardon. yesterday was Bowie. Now you're saying Raiki doesn't work. Oh, come it's on. Raiki. Ra- you're, you're a sensible man of science, aren't you? No, I've tried it all. I'm as wacky as they come. Yeah, have you got a crystal? You yes. Put- How are your chakras doing? Oh, they're okay. You don't, sh- you don't really believe in that, do you? Yes. Well, some of it. Do you really? Yes. I trained as a hypnotherapist, you know. Well, listen, hypnotist- Look into my eyes. I used to be a hypnotist. Did you? I used to do stage hypnotism We're years ago. We're going to each other and just- <laughs> <laughs> I did. I used to do that. Like that. I, it was wonderful. Did you? I used to, yeah, used to do shows in pubs and clubs, quite illegally, um, uh, until they clamped down on it even more, and we'd make people think they were Elvis and forget yes. the number seven. So you know about the power of the mind, then? I know about the power of the mind. I also yes. know that, that uh, homeopathy and Reiki is bullshine. Mm-hmm. Oh, look at this. This is great. I'm surprised. What about um, acupuncture, then? Because that works. No, it doesn't. Yes, it 
it does. It hurts. Yes, it does. No, it doesn't. You've it, been to the wrong. You've been to the wrong needle practice. They, they, oh, th- th- this won't hurt. Are you sticking a needle in my buttock and my calf? It hurts. Are you sure you went to a genuine one? Oh, I don't know. They were quite big needles. <laughs> I'm not sure it was a needle actually. It's something. Well, this is what we're asking. Uh, carrying on from your discussion, are alternative therapies a waste of time and money? I think it's all about the power of the mind. If it works for you and you can convince yourself that it's working, then it's working, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I don't like those. Another thing, those health shops mm. where they come and have uh, an allergy test and they wire you up to a machine. And it says, "Well, you're you're allergic to uh, three hundred uh, different yeah. types." I've of heard wheat. that as well. That that is nonsense. Is this? Yes, it is. <laughs> How David? often are you at an age where you walk past the Chinese herbal medicine shop and they've got the list of conditions in the window? Yeah, and you can tick every single one. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I can go through all of them. Yeah, <laughs> pretty yeah. much. Hair loss. Yeah, backache. Yep. My hair's still pretty thick. Yeah, you're doing okay. Not much longer, though. So you're, you're a believer in all of this? Uh, most of it, yes, I think I oh. am. But um, we'll discuss. Every morning you surprise me. Yes. And amaze me and excite me. Yeah, we are. Uh, 08459. Thank you, David. See you later on. Have Thank a good show. Thank you very show. much. 08459 You can send David an email. If you want to get in touch with him and the team now, send them an email. jvsshow at bbc.co.uk. Uh, put your phone number and a little line about what you want to talk about, and you may get a phone call. Uh, we are talking about complementary uh, and alternative medicines. Janine is in Houghton Regis. Good morning, Janine. Good morning. Yeah, it's nonsense, isn't it? <laughs> Some of it, but not all of it. Go on, what, what bits do you like? Uh, well, I used to be a hypnotist, but that's not why I'm ringing in. No. Um, I'm ringing in because I heard about cranial osteopathy. Yeah. Um, and I decided to take my son's cranial osteopathy um, before he was diagnosed with Asperger's. We didn't know then right. that that was, um, you know, his, some of his bizarre behaviour was down to that. How old was he at the time? Uh, when we took him, he was um, probably about three Maybe, no, maybe two. Okay, right. Yeah, a bit young. Uh, just, well, t- between two and three. Um, now, the reason I took him was because he had a bit of a bizarre behaviour and, um, and um, I'd heard that cranial osteopathy was good for, for babies anyway. Um, during the course of his treatment, um, a kinesiologist decided to, uh, to test him for food allergies because he had... Now, what, is, what is this kinesiology? Is this the thing where you get plugged into a machine? No, no. They, 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 what they did, um, I, I didn't know anything about it before now, yeah. uh, or before then. What they did was they, they put um, various food substances on his arm um, while they manipulated his head. Oh, my God. And they, really? they Yes, it sounds bizarre, doesn't it? Yes. Um, but he, at the time, he had a constant runny nose... He was always dribbling. His cheeks were bright red, and he used to ha- he used to get really angry. Right. Which is, I know you think, well, terrible twos and all that, but it was it was not the same. Um, and w- I just put the the, um, the dribbling and the, the red cheeks and everything down to teething. Anyway, the kinesiologist told us he had a sucrose intolerance. So I thought, okay, fair enough. We'll we'll do this. We'll we'll go along with this. Um, so we took him off sucrose, and it wasn't easy because there's sucrose in everything. Um, we, so we took him off sucrose, and within two weeks, the, his behaviour had changed, the red cheeks had gone down, the dribbling had stopped. So we thought, right, we'll test it. So we gave him sucrose again, yeah. and it seems that sucrose used to take maybe two or three hours to get into his system, and two weeks to get out again. Have you got all this through a kinesiologist? It was through a cranial osteopathy. Right, hang on a second. Uh, Laura is my producer. Laura? Yes. Yeah, you're on that one there. Hello, Laura. I am. L- listen, th- this, we've heard this kinesiology mentioned several times this morning. Mm. I've never heard of it. Can we, bu- can we arrange a session where I go to a kinesiologist... Definitely. ...and find out what I'm allergic to? I'll look it up now. We'll get it booked in for tomorrow. Yes, Janine? What you could do is contact the Cranial Osteopathy Centre for Children. But I'm, I'm 39. <laughs> 
No, no, it's okay. They deal. They deal with adults as Even well. Even though they've got the word children in the title. Well, they they deal with um with with chi- with with young people up to the age of nineteen, but also with their mothers. Now, I know you're not a mother. I've <laughs> <laughs> ticked none of those boxes. But um, you know, there, there might be someone there. Janine, they, they can talk. But can I just tell you about my daughter as well? Very quickly, because I've got David and Sarah who want to have a word. Okay, um, I took her for um, cranial osteopathy because she was going to have to have egg grommets. I didn't want her to have an operation. Yeah. Um, and they, she went for a few sessions of cranial osteopathy. We went back to see the consultant for the next stage of this um, yeah. this process, and he said, "Oh, well, she's um, she's fine." And she'd had um, bunged up ears for, for and years. And he fixed her with a couple he, of sessions. With, with cranial. Okay, he, well, listen, Ginny, we have to end it there. So, Laura, I want to see a kinesiologist. Great. And I want to find out what I'm allergic to. Because I get, I get headaches and I get a bit bunged up from time to time. So, can we sort that out? We'll definitely sort it out and we'll update everybody tomorrow. Very, very exciting. I'm going to see a kinesiologist, a word I'd never even heard until an hour ago. Thank you, Janine. David's in Marsh Farm. Good morning, David. Good morning. Uh, what, are you a fan of this nonsense? Yes, most definitely. Go on, what do you, what do you use? I use some, can I, can I name it? Well, is it a company? Well, no, it's, I saw an advert in a, in a, in No, a don't, star. don't name it. What kind of thing is it? Oh, it's a tablet and, and a jelly you rub on. <laughs> a jelly you rub on? Yeah. And what's and it for? Arthritis? Arthritis. Where do you rub it? Oh, wherever it has hurting. I had, uh, last, uh, no, 2010, I had a, ha- a hand come up three times the size its normal size. Wow. I, w- I went to hospital. In the end, they operated. Yeah. And I was off work for about six weeks because I couldn't do a blimmin' thing with this blimmin' hand. You even a job to dress yourself, let alone do your shoes up. Yeah. And then it seemed to get better. Then last year, it come back again. You probably could have qualified for this brothel in Spain, by the way, David. Oh, no, I don't want one of them. No, OK. So it came uh, back. It came back again, and I went back to the hospital, and I, I saw, I was going to say what, I saw, uh, I went to rheumatology department at the L&D. Yes. And I saw, uh, a foreign doctor who sent me for a chest x-ray. Yes. And I went with a bad hand. Uh. Well, I went for a chest x-ray, I haven't a clue, neither did anybody else. Yes. I was reading the Saga magazine, I saw this stuff advertised, I yes. thought, well, in for a penny, in for a pound. Well, you say in for a penny, in for a pound. How much does this stuff cost you? Well, it cost me over 100 quid. Here we go. Here we go, David. But it, I'm now on my second lot, and it's w- totally worked. And I used to have sciatica, and that's since gone as well. How big, how big was your hand? Was it massive? Did you have a massive hand? It was so big. And the, the, the middle finger, which they operated on, was oh. about three times the size of a normal finger. Well, it could be useful if you lived in America and you were angry with people. They flipped yeah, that instead of the, well, the, the Vs. Yeah. yeah. But so you reckon this, this... What's in this stuff? Have you read the ingredients? It's, it's all herbal, and I showed it to the doctors. They, they are quite amazed, and they said, it, it obviously must be working. Yeah. Well, they signed me off. Now, can I tell you something else? Why not? I like well, you. Ye- years ago, I had, I had a, 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 for several, well, for many years, I had a thing called ulcerative colitis, if you know what that is. I don't know what it is. It sounds very unpleasant. It's a very, it's a very bad bowel disease. Oi, ta-ta-ta, yes. And the doctor was going to give me a temporary colostomy. Oh, dear. And I was a bit down in the mouth. I, I, I bet you're I, down somewhere, yes. Yeah, and I was in a, in a health shop, and I saw a book called, uh... Uh, colitis and Crohn's disease. And yes. I was reading it in this health shop, and yep. it said in there to take all these vitamin pills. Ignore, ignore your 
prescription pills. Did oh. t- totally don't take any oh, of them. Oh, David. And I thought, in for a penny, in for a pound again. Yes. And I did it. And lo and behold, it Colossus worked. Can I, can I just say to listener, if, if, if a doctor, don't just stop doing, taking your prescribed medicine because a book says so. I mean, it, David, it seems to have worked for him there. But listen, if a doctor has prescribed you medicine, I would suggest you go and discuss that with him first. Sarah is in Long Crendon. Morning, Sarah. Hello there, Ian. Everyone se- seems to be in favour of, of what I would call nonsense. Is, 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 have you tried any of this stuff? Um, I haven't personally, and I have to say, up, up until the point that I started getting it for my son, I would have said absolutely, yeah, mumbo-jumbo, load of nonsense. Um, however... What's changed your mind? Um, my son, um, has Tourette's syndrome. Right. And he's had it since he was What, what kind does he have? Does he have the verbal kind or the physical tics? Uh, he has both. Both. He has verbal and, and physical. Okay. Um, and the, the, the drugs that he has for the, the um, Tourette's syndrome work fantastically, mm. normal, normal national health things. However, one of the drugs, one of the side effects is that it can cause depression. Okay. Um, also, with people who have Tourette's syndrome, they kind of naturally get depression anyway because yes. of the way society treats them. You would imagine they would, yes. Yeah. Um, and also, he's 16, and 16 is, is also a time for depression as well, so everything combined absolutely. is not looking great. Absolutely. Because he's 16, um, the National Health Service cannot prescribe him antidepressants. Um, and so... In a fit of desperation, I mean, bearing in mind this is a child who'd been on um, suicide watch wow. for three years. Um, fit of despera- desperation, I thought, right, let's see what else we can find that's out there. Um, he's now on um, high-dose St. John's Wort and high-dose 5-HTP. I'm not going to say that it's cured him, it absolutely hasn't, mm. but it keeps him on an even keel. Um, he, he's not on suicide watch anymore, and as a 16-year-old, he seems to know that he absolutely knows they're working because when they're starting to run low, he comes downstairs and says, "Mum, they're running low. Please, can you get me some more?" Does that? Does that? Um, is it working because you know the placebo effect? He's been told it's working. No, no. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, he, he, he's got Tourette's syndrome, but he's not stupid by any stretch of the imagination. Well, no, the placebo, well placebo effect isn't, isn't uh, in any way an implication that someone's stupid. It's, it's a, you know, it's a, 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 a known factor in, in helping people get well. Well, no, because when I presented them to him, he kind of rolled his eyes along with me rolling my eyes. Yeah. Um, and said, well, you know, don't think they're going to work in a typical 16-year-old way. That's a great impression, yes. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, and, but the, the, the fact is that they do, and if he does run out for whatever reason, um, generally because the postal service is so rubbish they don't get here on time, you, you notice a definite decline in, in his behaviour um, and, and the way that he starts to sort of burrow in his room. Well, Sarah, listen, thank you for that. I'm glad things uh, are working out for your boy, and it sounds like they're having an effect. Three very convincing stories there. We heard of the gentleman with the massive hands, the, the sausage fingers. I don't think he used that phrase himself, or if I just thought it and perhaps shouldn't have said it out loud. The, the, the Sarah and her depressed son. Um, what do you think? Is it convincing you that maybe this stuff actually does work? The, uh, and that's your latest news in sport. More from me at nine o'clock. Well, it sounded like you were going to give us more, and then you I just. I was went... always going to do weather, nah. and then I thought you don't deserve it. No, <laughs> cheeky. The BBC in beds, hearts, and bugs. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. She's right. We don't deserve. We don't deserve the weather. We've not been good enough. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio, here until nine o'clock, uh, and then David Prever is filling in for JVS for the rest of the week. Lots coming up in the last 30 minutes, including 
A report claims there's a lack of evidence to prove that complementary therapies work. Have you been cured or conned by complementary medicine? And a very famous house in Hertfordshire has been repossessed. Legend has it it was home to a highway woman. Ooh, who carried out her robberies at night time. Well, Justin Dilly has been finding out about its history. He'll be telling us about it before nine. And if we get the chance, we'll try and play that Justin Dilly song one more time before the end of the show. Um, now, complaining. You have a meal at a restaurant, it's not very nice. What would you do? Would you complain? Would you kind of just shut up and take it meekly? Or your microwave breaks... What do you do? Go back to the shop? Research published by the Institute for Customer Service suggests that there is a growing complaints culture here in the UK. You're more likely now than you were five years ago to have a good old moan when you're unhappy. BBC Three Counties reporter Justin Dealey has been finding out how much we really do complain. Now, Craig, you complained, what, three or four weeks ago in a restaurant? Why did you complain? That's the first question. Um, the standard service was pretty poor and the, the food wasn't up to, st- up to standard. OK, so what happened next? Did they do anything for you? Uh, yeah, they, they discounted the bill at the end of the evening. They, they, they refunded some of the money back for the food. So it pays to complain then? It definitely pays to complain. I mean, this report's saying today that we're more likely now to complain compared to five years ago. Have you always complained? Have you always liked a good old moan, Craig? Oh, definitely. We always have, have a complaint. <laughs> always, always complain. But your complaint, you would say, is always valid, though. You, you don't complain for the sake of it. You complain when something is genuinely wrong. Yes, definitely. If, if it's wrong, you make them aware of it, and that's, that's all you can do to improve the service. And you'll make complaints all the time, I hear, is that right? He does. He, uh, he spends a lot of time away in hotels, and he always writes to them if he's had a bad stay, and sometimes he gets a free weekend out of it. Sometimes he just gets a letter saying sorry for the uh, inconvenience, and that's it. Well, here's Darrell. Darrell, you are looking so glamorous this morning. Oh, <laughs> you want to go to Specsavers, love? <laughs> no, I think I'll find the way I am. Um, how often do you complain? Quite often if the service is not good. Mm-hmm. Yes, but I always speak to people properly and most of the time I get um, it, is, it is resolved yes one of your last big complaints was about food yes. now when you made that complaint did anything happen were you given a refund or anything like that oh yes I did have to pay which a was full quite refund. nice yes yeah. yeah yeah oh yes it's good if you complain if you do it politely I think that's the way do it politely and also if you've got a problem with with a product or something the, the, the customer helplines and the, the, they can't really do a lot I always send it, I, I go to those places first of all point of contact and then I find out the email address of the CEO and I send them an email and I CC in as many important people as I can from that company so I did with my curtains when they were late cost me a blooming fortune these curtains and they were late and I was furious complained to the oh, there's nothing we can do sir sent an email to the CEO within a day his secretary emailed me back. I do apologise. We'll, we'll sort this out. In the meantime, would £250 worth of vouchers go some way to uh, helping you? I said, oh, yes. They would do very, very much indeed. Oh, wait, 459 Have 80. There we go. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry. It said on my uh, screen that, that one of the next guests was eight years old. I found that very d- difficult to believe, particularly when he, s- he says he spent over £1,000. We'll, we'll d- talk to Mike in a second. Uh, have you been cured or conned by complementary medicine? A report shows that there is little scientific evidence to prove it works, particularly when it comes to arthritis and back pain. Well, Arthritis Research UK carried out the research. Uh, Mike Harvey is from Flitter and is sceptical. You're 80 years old, aren't you, Mike? Yes, indeed. He said on my screen, eight, and I was 
I was sceptical. You spent over £1,000 on trying to relieve the pain on the left side of your body. We'll come to you in a second, but first of all, I want to speak to Simon Charles, who is a homeopath from Abbots Langley. Good morning, Simon. Oh, morning. It's all a load of old nonsense, isn't it? Uh, no. (laughs) I uh, have been doing this for over 32 years, going on my 33rd year, and um, I treat every condition in the book, uh, except I don't do surgery or dentistry. And um, there are a lot of very effective homeopathic medicines for arthritis. There have been many trials in the past, blind trials, double blinds, and they've always been found to be very successful. How successful? What's, what's the, the, the success rate? Well, the information seems to get suppressed. I mean, people vary. Some people are strong, some people are weak. Some people are much drugged on uh, orthodox medications. Yes. They're the hardest of all to treat. Who, who have, do you... That is painkillers, nothing for the immune system, which is what's required. Simon, who do you think is suppressing this information? Uh, well, the British medical journals, it, it appears now and again. You see, homeopathic medicine doesn't make any money because it's so economic. I mean, I've got about 2,000 medicines on my shelves, and um, the cost would be about £20,000. The same number of drugs would be into millions. Are you really suggesting that doctors are, are part of a conspiracy to suppress the effectiveness of homeopathy? Uh, no, well, those are your words, not mine, but, I mean, that's what happens, because homeopathy is bad business from the point of view it doesn't make money. But doctors want to make people well. Do they? I see. OK, Right. Don't, don't they? Wow, that's a surprising accusation. Do they, do they not? Or maybe they want to keep themselves in business, you know, because they earn well, don't they? Um, the, the thing is, I'm an alternative, right? Yeah. I don't fight with the doctors. I don't resent the doctors because they give me all my business. I'm supposed to be a lesser man than a doctor, and I see all the people at the end of the queue where orthodoxy has failed, and I'm the man who's supposed to sort it out, and about 70% of the time I do. OK, well, let's, let's have a word with Mike. Mike, d- tell us exactly what your problem is that you spent so much money on. Well, a few years ago, about 13 years ago, I was um, diagnosed with what they said was a stroke. But they could never find any evidence that I'd had one. I had all the MRIs, um, all, all down my back and, and CAT scan and everything else. I had yeah. two or three of them, and they could never find anything. But I was treated for a stroke anyhow. Um, it got to the stage where they told me that although I got all this pain there was no way they'd got anything in the toolbox to help me because right. I'd gone through all the lot so you thought I, you'd try alternative medicines yes that's right what, what, what have you tried acupuncture yeah yeah any good no good at all no didn't do anything didn't do anything at all did it hurt you when those needles went in no oh ok no, no I had a lot of them yeah over a period of um, about two months I think it was right and how much did you spend on acupuncture do you know £620. Wowzers. Okay, and, and no effect whatsoever? None at all, no. Have you tried anything else? Well, what else is there? What else will help anything to do with, with the nerve endings? Well, let's I ask, mean, let's you, ask you Simon... You can't get anything that does anything for, for nerve endings. Let's ask Simon. Simon, uh, the, Charles, homeopath, could you help Mike? Well, the thing is, some people are curable and some people are not. There oh. are various reasons for that. Strokes, high blood pressure, heart attacks and arthritis are all related. They're all acid conditions. Basically, it's a sugar condition. It's also related to diabetes as well. Now, homeopathically, we've got, um, in one of my books, 108 remedies for arthritis for start, including various kinds of back pain. The most common one is arnica, which is a, a damage remedy, an accident remedy, and a pain remedy. Roost toxidendrons, which is poison ivy, also works for the muscles and various fluids in the body between the joints. 
Ruta graviolins, another remedy, works for the long bones, the small joints, and also tendons and ligaments. And you can take these... Can and you... works for the yeah. nerves as well. I also have the remedies of synovial fluid and cartilage also. And you can take these all together, can you? Well, you can do, yes, because, I mean, the old classical system of homeopathic medicine of giving one remedy at a time doesn't work anymore in these modern times of high toxicity from drugs. So do you think that, uh, that if, if Mike was to take a, a cocktail of these homeopathic... Well, no, he needs to see a proper practitioner. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. If, uh, I'm just... Puncture is usually very good for pain blocking, and sometimes it will raise the immune system as well. Osteopathy is another way, chiropractic yeah. is another way, massage, but diet is most important, okay. plus one's mental attitude. But, but if he saw a homeopath... If he found a good one, yes. Yes. And you say the mental attitude. Because if I, if I go to my doctor and I take some um, antibiotics, as I did over Christmas, for sinusitis, uh, my mental attitude is, is almost irrelevant because that drug is going to... I was miserable. I was miserable with this sinusitis, and I still took the, the antibiotics every day, and it went. Yes, well, it will do, but it'll come back. When? Well, drugs are a sales product, you see. How do you, how do you go on selling a product? You guarantee to keep on creating the need for it. So they're only short-term, the antibiotics, and killing bacteria off when you've got a virus is a stupid thing to do. But it killed my, it killed my sinusitis. It got rid of it. I can function again. But it will come back. But when? Like, but, I mean, we have lots of remedies for sinusitis homeopathically as well. Yeah, but, um, uh, but I, if, if I have the, 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 the wrong... is one, and yeah. um, silica is another. We've got many, many remedies for but, that. But if, if, you have, if you have a remedy that you have to believe in for it to work, then that's like wishing on a fairy, isn't it? Well, why do cats and dogs and horses and things respond very well to homeopathic medicine? I don't know if they do. I've never seen any evidence that backs that up. Well, there is plenty, if you look up the internet. The doctors is... Uh, well, I, Simon, I don't believe anything that I read on the internet, for goodness sakes. Uh, and doctors are... Uh, vets no, are no, suppressing this. if you look this. up the trials and various yes. trials that have taken place, and various information, like the Battle of the Flu of 1918, yes. which killed 30 to 40 million people worldwide, the only people successful with that were the homeopaths. And, and vets are suppressing the information about uh, homeopathy treatments yeah. for animals? I think when they're trained, they're not particularly taught about homeopathy, so they learn one, one regime, you know, one discipline... And uh, they don't look further. Mike, would, is, is homeopathy something that you would consider? Simon uh, seems to think it would work. No, I don't think so. I, I finished up going to the Ratcliffe Hospital at, uh, at Oxford, and they said that they could cure my pain. They, could, they didn't know what was causing the pain, which yep. was quite uh, serious at, at times, because uh, there was nothing else that would do anything for it. Uh, they got a cure for it. It was a brain operation. Oh. And because I'm still waiting for that, oh. because it's quite expensive. Yes. Um, they said they could cure the pain, but they can't. They don't know what the problem is. Well, you could you could go and see someone like Simon, a, a homeopath, and, and, and see that if that works while you're waiting for the operation, couldn't you? Well, I've spent 13 years going to various people. I've been to nearly all the people you can think of, but well, you none of them have got any answer to my problem. You won't have been to nearly all the people you can think of because there are lots more of alternative paradigms that can work well for this. Simon, how much, would it, how much does treatment cost? Uh, well, it varies. I mean, I'm usually about £91 for a two-hour consultation the first time round. That will include one's medicines. And how long does that medicine last for? Oh, well, I very often will give it for a month or even three months or whatever. And then how much does it cost after that? Um, well, my, my fees are usually the same. 
Okay. So that is quite expensive, whereas you can go to the doctor oh, for free. Because I'm a hypnotherapist and a psychotherapist and a healer as well, and I also do hands-on work, but, in, but nutrition also. But you, you, in comparison with going to the GP, which is which is free, you might, you might pay seven quid for the prescription, it, it is comparatively expensive, isn't it? You pay for it in your tax, don't you? Well, exactly. So I've, I've... I mean, this gentleman that you're talking to now, yes. I mean, orthodoxy has completely and utterly failed him. All they're going to do now is painkillers or produce an operation that cuts out the receptor of the brain that receives pain. Well, that's not a cure, that's not a treatment, and what else does it cause? All drugs cause side effects, as do operations as well. I find it fascinating. Simon, we have to leave it there. Simon Charles, thank you very much indeed for your time. And Mike Harvey from Flitwick. Uh, Simon is a homeopath from Abbott's Langley. Fascinating. And people get so passionate about this, don't they? Simon obviously passionately cares for the people he treats and cares for the image of homeopathy. Let's get the weather now with Kate Kinsella. Thanks very much. Well, good morning. Well, it's a rather mild start or... Quite mild. Six or seven Celsius. Is you see, airy. Bit... That was you being airy. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> All right. I'll stand by the airiness for now. Um, that's your forecast. Kate, thank you very much indeed. We've been talking repossessions all morning, and one famous home which has been uh, repossessed recently is the Mark Yates Cell. Legend has it it was home to a highwaywoman known as the Wicked Lady who carried out her robberies at night time. Well, our ghost and highways uh, correspondent, Justin Diddy, has been finding out more about the property with local historian Anne Mead. Oh, it sounds spooky. Is it haunted? Uh, apparently it is. Um, yeah, absolutely. I'm literally a few hundred yards away from this magnificent property here. It dates back to 1145. It has 18 bedrooms, 79 acres of land and it was on the market for come on guess how much um we're, we're, it's, uh, we're in the area millions, millions oh mil- i was gonna say 350 uh, <laughs> 350 000. i don't know uh, three million pounds no keep going keep five, going five million no ten million hey, pounds. Wow, wow. Yeah, and it's I got know. a ghost as well fantastic fantastic so it was on the market earlier this week it's now off the market if i was going to scale down then that's what i'd go for <laughs> Ten million pounds. It's a lot of money. It's uh, a very famous house. Joining me live here in our radio car is Anne Mead. Anne's a historian. And it's called The Cell. Why is this building called The Cell? Well, there was a holy lady that um, came from Huntingdon. She was in, in the... Oh, sorry, in the 1100s. And she came here. There was a Roger the Hermit. She was in a cell here. And eventually they... Uh, formed a monastery with nuns and the priory became a priory there was a church there and it wasn't until the re- the dis- dissolution of the monasteries that uh, Henry VIII gave the property to his friend Henry Boucher let's get down to business now Anne come on uh, we are told the wicked lady lived here we are told that she is still here she still haunts the building is that true is that fact or is that fiction well, you've got to, it depends who you believe. I haven't seen her, but there are people in the village that will say, oh yes, she rides across the top of the houses. Um, and this is Catherine, Lady Catherine Ferrers. She wasn't a lady at that point, mm. thinking about it. Okay, so but you're saying that the legends do exist. Do you believe yourself? Uh, frankly, no. No? No, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> Just being honest. <laughs> um, it was on the market for £10 million. Uh, would you pay £10 million for that property with a ghost? Uh no, whether there were ghost or not there, I still wouldn't pay £10 million. It was sold, we believe, last time for £4 million. Now, you are going to get a new neighbour. It's probably going to be a celebrity with that figure. Who do you fancy as the next neighbour here at the cell? I don't mind, so long as they take interest in the village. It would be nice to have somebody 
that would be interested in what goes on in the village and not for us all to the village people to pile in and have a look around but just to have contact mm. with the village okay to be part of the community ian just lastly we have a poem here yes are you ready for this i'm ready for it yeah this definitely fantastic okay and take it away you have got a poem here about the cell in Markiate. we are all ears near the cell there is a well near the well there is a tree and neath the tree the treasure be now what treasure we don't know Thank you very much. It, it didn't rhyme at the end. It was all going really <laughs> well. You don't need to rhyme at the end. Of course it does. Poem. I enjoyed that. You she's right. You do not want the village people piling in, do you? No, that would be no. speed, uh, chaos. It's a free party, but no, it's, it's, it's a very, very famous building. Um, it was on the market for £10 million. Uh, who buys that? You know, we're, we're yet to know, but we're hoping there, as Anne says, that that person can be involved in the local community. But have we got anybody this morning, Ian, yeah. who has seen the wicked lady? Oh. Apparently she is on her horse sometimes, and she rides on the roofs of the property what? in Markier. Yeah, oh. apparently this is true. Apparently so. I would love it. I'm, I was intrigued that, that Anne mentioned a character there, mm. Roger the Hermit. She yes. moved in with Roger the Hermit, as though we all knew who <laughs> Roger the Hermit was. Who is this well, Roger the Hermit? You don't know about Roger the Hermit. Tell us more about Roger the Hermit. Roger, well, a holy man that lived in, in um, a hut in the corner of the Sale Park somewhere. Uh, he was buried at St Albans Abbey. There you go. He's my new favourite holy man. Yeah, you like him, don't you? I do. I do. <laughs> Justin, listen, just going off on a slight tangent, we're mm. talking alternative medicines and therapies and stuff. We had a, a homeopath who, was, who was, um, was as angry as a homeopath could be. Yeah, uh, Are you into all that nonsense? Uh, no, no, I'm not actually. Um, I can't sleep very well at the moment. I can't sleep in the afternoons. I can't sleep in the evenings. It's a nightmare. Oh dear. And people keep on saying, take some lavender, L- put it on bit your bit of lavender oil, It'll yeah. work, it'll work. Hang on a second, Anne. What, what were you sticking your thumb up here for? Because it does work. Really? Yes. Oh, I've gone right off, Anne. <laughs> I've got, I liked her. I, li- I like local, local historians. But no, no, I've tried the lavender oil. Yeah. It doesn't work. No, do you know what? I, I've heard, though, I've heard, as crazy as this may sound, I've yep. heard that it works in particular for pets. And my mum tried this a few years ago. Because <laughs> <laughs> the, next, the next caller is on talking about homeopathy for her dog. Well, so, do yeah, be what? careful. Go my mum had a standard poodle. Yeah. And on journeys, it was a nightmare. Yeah. It was always barking. Uh, What's that in the background? That, 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 <laughs> Sue? Yes, hello. Is that, your, is that your dog barking in the background? It is. He's, yeah, yeah, he's waiting to go out for right, walk. Have a listen to Justin. Justin's okay. talking about his, his mum using d- d- alternative remedies on her dog. Go on, Justin. I, I don't know what she used, but, but on these long journeys, he used to bark the whole way, he'd have a headache, and quite frankly, it was dangerous. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, she <laughs> dangerous gave the for dog, the dog something. Yes. She, she had some sort of advice, and she gave him a herbal remedy, yeah. and after five minutes, he slept the whole wow. way on there every journey. Go. So, apparently... Apparently it works for dogs, but for humans, not interesting. Oh, I don't know. I've got another story. Go on, Sue. how much time you've got. Yeah, Justin, no, Justin can you listen to Sue? You're yeah, right yeah, for a minute. Yeah. Go on, Sue. Yeah. Talk to me and Justin. Okay. Hi. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Um, Justin, you oh, do this, yeah, but I'm having a break. I don't know how much time we've got, but my dog... I mean, I was recommended by other dog walkers, because my dog um, is old, so he's suffering now quite badly with, um, you know, the back legs go, he's arthritic... Um, and I was recommended, it's not expensive, it was only about £4 something from Boots in their alternative, um, you know, the alternative medicine area that they have in the chemist. Sorry, I don't know if I should have mentioned that. Well, it doesn't matter, yes, we've all heard of it, yes. But, I mean, you can get it in other places as well, you know, health shops and that, but, um, you know, you just give them with their food. It's just like, I think it's supposed to be like a little tincture on top of these little pearl uh, sugar things, so 
But, you know, it's not a placebo effect, because it clearly works on my dog. And what did it do to the dog? He can walk, I mean, if I don't give it to him, which we didn't have any over Christmas, I'd run out. His, his actual spine starts twisting, he can't walk properly. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm sure they would have said to me, if I don't to the vet, they'd say, well, the time's come, you know, you should really have him put down. But if he's on this, he can walk. He's getting old, you can see he still struggles a bit, but he's not suffering. You know, so it's well worth £4.30 for me. It lasts me nearly a month. Justin, this well, stuff. this is... Justin, with your yeah. mum mm. and Sue... Uh, and by the way, I love your serious voice, Justin. Yes. With With your <laughs> mum and Sue, this is... This is evidence well, that it works. As I say, you know, the, 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 there's definitely something in this. I've heard so many stories yeah. over the years about pets taking uh, these types yeah. of therapies and it working. And of course, let's not forget, we're talking about ghosts here in Mark Dogs are also psychic. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> right, I'm cutting no, you I've got another, another quick story. Go on then, Justin. Yeah. We'll let you go because you, you, you spouted far too much nonsense for one morning. Thank you very much, Justin Daly. Yes, go on, Sue, quickly. Yeah, no, with um, whooping cough, you know, that's quite bad for youngsters. Many, many years ago, um, my son now, he's 31. Yes. Um, instead of having a whooping cough, um, you know, the um, jab. Yeah. Um, there was this controversy at the time about, you know, certain people shouldn't have it, it causes side effects. Yeah. Well, when I went to my GP at the time, because my children suffered with asthma, they said, oh, yeah. no, don't have it done. So did um, you get a bit of homeopathy? No, the, um, you know, the, the actual jab. Yeah. You know, the main... Yeah, but what, 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 what worked in the end, Sue? Yeah, they, I mean, what, what it was, they actually, um, a friend of mine who yeah. knew, a, he was a, he's a GP, yes. who also had a homeopathic clinic. Yeah. He was a doctor that studied, obviously, you know. And it, and it worked. It sorted it all out. Well, what, what happened was, because you give them the same doses yeah. as you would an injection. Yes. Um, then they come into contact with hooping cough. It was quite a bad year that time. My son just had a little cough with a hoop. He was only 14 months old. And it worked. So I, I'm, I'm ending there. I you obviously didn't pick up on my clues that I was trying to end there. But I, and I'm glad it worked for you. Thank you for that. Worked on our baby and our dog. The reason I'm ending is because I would like to play this song one more time. It was sent in by Scott, who is a huge fan of Justin Dealey. Who isn't a fan of Justin Dealey? It's called I Love Justin Dealey. One, two, three. I love Justin Dealey from Red's Hearts and Bucks. He's got a lovely, honest voice. Even though I love him, guess I'm out of luck. Cause he's just one of the boys. But I'm gonna make him love me, gonna make him care. Gonna run my fingers through his hair. That's the end of the show. We made it to the end once again. Just about. I might go for a little swim this morning. I'm not sure. Back tomorrow at six o'clock. Do stick around, though. David Prever is in, filling in for Jonathan Vernon-Smith. I'll see you tomorrow. Ta-ta. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio.
morning. This is David Prever in for Jonathan Vernon-Smith. Thank you to Ian and the team.